Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast, Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series, Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series, SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks, too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Newt Gunray's lover, Dagan Moriarty. You're always someone's lover on here, aren't you? I really you? am always someone's lover. It's really kind of a little bit not Me imaginative. so, so happy to be here, Colin. Oh. <laughs> Sound like a fucking store brand version of Jar Jar Binks. Low rent. Low Jar-Jar. rent. Well, we'll get into low rent in a little oh, while, yes, of course. Dagan. For the uninitiated, Knockback is our weekly nostalgia and retro podcast. We do it on Patreon.com slash Collins Last and of course, free feeds. But if you want early ad free access to every episode of our show and other perks, including the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to our show, the ability to get early access to topics, etc. Please do consider us or consider us. That doesn't make any sense. Please do consider supporting us on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Speaking of all of that, since people can vote on topics over there and they submit their topics, everyone votes. This is a topic you guys voted for, for better or for worse. It's Star Wars Episode One: <laughs> The Phantom Menace. The Phantom now, Menace. Dagan, we have an opening that we do, but I want to set the stage before we even get into our opening that riverboat casino <laughs> thing that we've been doing here for Wave 9 of our show okay. as we sit here in the Philly suburbs. And I think this is important to read aloud for this topic okay. and set the stage. And I'm curious what you think of it. OK, this comes okay. from just a man known as Ben. Maybe Ben, maybe ben Kenobi. Who maybe knows? Ben from Parks and Rec. Maybe Ben from Parks and Rec. Maybe <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. Oh, wow. Benjamin Button. Oh, you got a lot of Benjamins. Maybe my nephew, Ben. Yeah, your nephew, Ben. Uh, Who else have we got for Ben? Big Ben. Big Ben. Not the one. clock tower, but the G.I. Joe. From gentle Ben. There's a deep cut. Who's Gentle Ben? Yeah, Gentle Ben, you wouldn't know. So if I'm not mistaken, that was a TV show. I guess of the 60s, correct me if I'm wrong, about a bear named Gentle Ben. Oh, interesting. Sounds a yeah. little perverted. Uh, <laughs> how about Benny Alley's ex-boyfriend? Oh, oh, oh that's exactly no, how he yeah, would probably that's sound. How Benny would sound. He was great. I loved that guy. Great, Really nice guy. Yeah, he really is a sweet guy. All right. Ben says this. He wrote this on to us on Patreon, and I do want to start with this. OK, Ben. He says, hi, Colin. Hi, Dagan. When I hi. saw early on that this topic was likely going to win the monthly vote, okay. I was admittedly dismayed. I've been listening to Colin since the early days at Beyond. That's my old podcast at IGN. And it's no secret that this movie is one for which Colin has a lot of negativity. You both have expressed on different occasions that you want knockback to be largely focused on positivity. And unfortunately, your Star Wars discussions tend to be some of your most negative. Even the episode five episode, which was our first episode ever, by the way, of the show, devolved briefly into bashing eight. Well, we couldn't help ourselves. The expanded universe (laughs) book discussion was also a bit of a bummer to get through. I wonder how you feel about the Return of the Jedi conversation. In an effort to maintain Hmm. your goal of keeping knockback positive, I have a suggestion. Frame the episode not around your negative memories of the film. We have heard these a lot over the years, but rather what you would change if you had a do-over. 
What story elements, actors, etc. would you keep? What would you change? How would your episode one play out? This would allow you to discuss the film while pushing towards something more positive. As I said, I'm a longtime listener, but I think Star Wars is a little broken for you right now, and it hasn't been a very positive source of discussion historically. I hope you'll consider my suggestion, and I hope you have fun. Well, I want to say a few things, and I'm curious what you think about this. Then we'll get into our casino segment here. Please, my friend. I understand what you're saying, but there are two things that come to mind for me here, Ben. Number one is that you might have heard my opinions on it over time, but you've never heard Dagan's really. So that's number one. Right. And number two is you guys voted for this. So I'm not sure that this is an organic conversation that we would have probably maybe ever done, or maybe at some point we would have done it in the far flung future. Yeah. So I think that while I hear you, we have to deliver our honest opinions and honest feelings on this movie. And so we tried to do it as fairly as possible. Dagan and I actually watched this movie together last night. We did indeed. I hadn't seen the movie in years. Dagan hadn't seen the movie in years. We had not seen it together since we saw it in the theater. So while I think it's safe to assume that we both don't like this movie, and I think we'll discuss why, we're going to get deep into it. Yeah. I do want to say that I hear you, but that's not really our job. We try to pick topics that are provocative sometimes, but mostly thought provoking or truly nostalgic, truly something happy or whatever. But you guys voted for this. So yeah. we're going to deliver the we'll goods. We're not saying number one. You're absolutely right. Now, Kyle, may I have the floor for one second? Please. Okay, now, Ben, I, I appreciate starting out this way, Kyle. It's a really thoughtful way to start out. Here's something that's very important to me, okay? This is going to be... We're going to break down The Phantom Menace. A couple of things are very important to me about this, that we circle it very thoughtfully. This is a very well-trodden area in nerd culture as you guys know and in popular culture especially the you know the prequel trilogy in general but especially this film in particular because this kicked off the prequel trilogy a couple of things are very important to me about this one that we're constructive two well first of all i think it's going to be a very i think this frames a show an episode to be very entertaining because us talking about this this is bound to be very entertaining no matter how you frame it Two, it's very important for me to, it's very important for us to be critical, but also constructive. Now, Colin and I already discussed this. We plan to discuss the positives of this this film, which there are some in both of our opinions. Definitely. And the negatives. But here's the thing about the negatives. I've never heard really deeply thoughtful criticism of this film. When we we are critical of The Phantom Menace, when we are about to be critical of this film, and we'll talk a lot about all the aspects of this film, good and bad. The critical sort of the the critical eye that we put on this film is going to be very thoughtful, and I really hope. And you guys could let us know. I really hope this might be one of the, the most important episodes that we've done to date to me because I really hope that we bring some new points of conversation to the table and that we discuss some things that you guys maybe never heard before or never described in this way. I I made very I, we both made really copious notes, you, you know. Our viewing, well, we'll get to this, but we'll get to that, but we'll get to what, <laughs> how we viewed the movie last night, which Kyle already knows. Kyle knows me so well, he knows what I'm thinking already, but it's very important. I really want to bring some new light to this discussion. I've never heard this movie broken down the way I need to hear it broken down, and I hope we're able to do it some justice. I really hope we're able to do that for you guys, and it's going to be entertaining, and you know what? Listen, we don't have to all love and, and like and enjoy the same things. And especially as Star Wars fans, I think there's two important things to know. A, you don't have to accept everything and like everything about Star Wars. I've I've known a lot of people like that where it almost seems like they feel compelled as Star Wars fans to like hold up the mantle and 
champion all things Star Wars. You it you're allowed to cherry pick. You're allowed to not like certain aspects of the of the franchise. It's okay. Whether that's a book or a movie or part of a movie or a specific character, whatever it is. And B, it's okay to hold these things up to a light and really analyze them because we know what we want to see as fans. And as long as we're sincere to ourselves and, you know, to each other about what we like and what we enjoy and we're respectful of each other, I think it's okay to have these discussions. Knockback is, is also, it, 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 we kind of, I do want to fr- Knockback to be a positive show. There's a lot of vitriol and there's a lot of toxicity and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hate in nerd culture and that gets tired after a while. And that was one of our big things with Knockback. But I think honesty is also really important. You know, when, when we don't like something, we're going to say that. But yeah. let's say it in a respectful way. Yeah, we don't need to shit all over it. And sometimes we we do. We get a little flippant or I do. I think much more than Dagan. I, I don't want to paint Dagan with that same broad brush. A lot of it is me just uh, I am a very blunt person, but also, you know, to be a little funny and a little silly with it as, as times as well. And, you know, sure. as I'm even reflecting on what Ben's comment was, Dig. I don't know that I I haven't oh, listen. I haven't listened to the episode five episode, which is episode one of Knockback. This is going to be like episode 80 something, I think. So that was a long time ago, right? I'm not so sure that I believe that that episode about one of both of our favorite movies of all time was very negative. So, I, I mean, even I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's really an yeah, accurate yeah. representation <laughs> of, the, of, of the Empire Strikes Back episode. I want to go back and listen to that episode. now. But yeah, we probably did take the piss out of episode eight in there. Maybe there was a 10 minute segment or a 15 minute segment in there. And Return of the Jedi, I remember being a pretty positive episode. If I recall, because a lot of people are really negative about Return of the Jedi. And I happen to really like that movie we both a lot. Do. We both love it. So. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I take your point with the EU, but that was another topic you guys voted for, right? So it's not, I would have never done a Star Wars. Up, we would have eventually gotten to Phantom Menace. We would have never gotten to the expanded universe. So you can't really blame us for how this is all going to go one way or the other, I guess. <laughs> don't hold us responsible. But Ben, I, to, to, in all seriousness, I hear you. And I think that what Dagan said is absolutely true. There's a lot of negativity in nerd culture. And there is a lot of decent and good Star Wars criticism and, and criticism of episode one. And I highly recommend Red Letter Media's review, which is so silly. And, oh, well, and I love great. it. And they're, they're great. great. And there's actually I wish I wrote it down, but there's a, a really famous like remaking of episode one and remaking of episode two videos that are on YouTube from some years ago. I don't think the dude ever did episode three, okay. but like a really thoughtful like here's what it should have been. He like recuts the video. He talks about like, what if we did this? And what if we did that? That's also really good criticism. So I highly recommend everyone go out there and kind of gather those sources for themselves, because I think unlike a lot of our episodes of the show, I don't really feel the need and we're not going to go into the, like the deep history of where this came from and all that kind of stuff. I don't know that it's really relevant. I don't know that we're going to be able to do that any better than that's been done for the last 20 something years or 20 years. Right. So I don't want to go there necessarily. I want to really get into the movie, the characters and the world and all that or the worlds and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, Ben perfectly said again, I don't know that we can just I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I like episode one. I don't. So spoiler alert spoiler alert, I don't like it <laughs> but I will say this and I'm going to save the rest of it for after our uh, after uh, after our segment here that we're going to do up front which is that I think it's better than I thought and that's as much as I'm mm. going to say mm-hmm. for right now okay I don't think it's as bad as it might be made out to be and I will still say that it's the best prequel movie by probably a fucking light year I agree with that or let's say a parsec I do oh I like what you did there I do agree with that. Which is very contentious, but I don't think episode two, first of all, episode two is fucking terrible. And and episode three is even worse. We'll talk about those. But we'll get to those when you guys vote for them and inevitably make us (laughs) talk about those too and they get mad at us for being negative about it. 
So I wanted to throw that out there. But Dave, let's introduce everyone to the segment we're doing here for episode or for wave 8.5 and into wave nine. Tell everyone what it's all about. It's all about luck, my friend. Do you feel lucky, punk? This is a test of luck. We're going to test Colin's luck in four ways with a die, with a coin, with a set of cards and by picking a number out of a hat, if you will. Not literally out of a hat, but just, you know, very fascinated with luck. We're going to test Colin's luck tonight, see how he does. Another one of those sort of segments that I devised where it's sort of an off-camera thing. You guys can't see it. You know, I don't know. Is it going to be a successful segment? I don't know. You guys got to weigh in. Let us know how you like the opening and closing segments. I always like to change it. We like to switch it. Colin's Colin's been very good in letting me do that and letting me experiment. And Colin's devised some segments himself. And you guys always weigh in and let us know how you feel about them, what you would like to see return, what you don't. So continue to do that. Be honest with us. You know, so this is a fun, but this is a little fun thing that I, you know, hopefully you guys enjoy. Yeah. Tell Dagan, I'm just going to ignore everything you say about this segment. <laughs> All right. So coin flip we're starting with coin flip. Khan's got the penny one out of two, right? This is Absolutely. a one, a half and a half odd 50, my friend. I'm going to let the coin hit the turf and call it in the air. I'm going to keep going with tails. All right. And it is heads. All right. Dude, I'll have you know that I think I've guessed tails every time. So you have. I don't think you've said heads yet. I almost, as we said, I think when we were doing the remote episodes to fill in the gap between uh, waves eight and nine, I think I said that I almost always call tails. <laughs> I just like calling tails. Just, that's always been my that's thing. That's your thing. Yeah, I just like calling tails. All right. So All 0 right. for 1. The next up is a six-sided die. One die. Six. One D6, as we might call it in Dungeons and Dragons. I'm rolling it on the ground. I'm calling it a three. Three, he says. Three. Hey! There it is. So one for two. One for Got two. Got on Not base bad. here. All right. So now we have... Nice remind me what the odds were for the number, the, the, the pick the number. The number is going to be a one in eight chance. One in eight. So that's what's up next. Now, Kyle, right. I got to tell you, you yeah. got to pick a number between 100 and 800 by hundreds. Okay. Okay? In intervals of 100. So it's a one in eight chance. I'm going to say 400. Let's see. You're going to be very pleased with this. Jesus Christ. Oh, there we go. Got it. Hey. All right. Two for three. Not bad. All right. And finally, the cards. We have 12 cards suited with three each. So three diamonds, three hearts, three clubs, and three spades. Okay. Come um, Just guess. You're only, you're only, we're only holding you up. We're only holding you responsible for guessing the suit. But try to guess the card itself. See if you get extra lucky. All right. I'll give you full points, actually. Oh, full points. All right. Full points if you get that. All right. I'm going to say this is a nine- of spades. Okay, but spades. Seven of clubs. Okay. Well, not very good. Not far, though. No. So two for four, including the ones in the middle. I didn't get the 50% chance one, but I got the one out of six and the one out of eight. Right. You got the two in the middle. And missed the one out of 12. So not bad. Not bad. You're on the up and up. You're coming off of the O for O, for o right? So. Yeah, o I for think. Four, sorry. Yeah, two O fers. Two offers. Yeah. And we didn't do it when we did our episode with dad, which had already gone up by the time everyone's here. Oh, I forgot all about the segments. We had to be kind of quick because we had dinner reservations. We did. That episode's probably the shortest episode in our run. Good episode. So far, but a very good episode. And I'm really excited for everyone to hear that. Although by the time you guys hear this, you would have already heard that. Oh, right. And if I'm not here for you, I'm there for you. Weird time warp now. I know. It doesn't really make any sense. All right, Dave. Here we go. Let's start talking about the movie. I just want to read a few more introductory comments. I'm really looking forward to hearing these. I, I really love hearing people. I like talking about this movie. I really do. Me too. I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited to see what you think. We, like you said, took a, took a lot of notes and watched it and paid attention to it and really tried to give it a shot. And I really, I, I got to be honest with you. I really did. I'm not going to say I tried to. I really did go into it with an open mind. And we did. We really did. Yeah. 
like just be like, you know what? I've not really sat down to watch this in a long time. I probably haven't seen it all the way through in more than a decade. And, you know, I probably seen it on TV or popped it in once or twice. I own the digital like six movies on, you know, digital versions on oh, Amazon okay. or whatever. Okay. But I like like any normal person only watch the original trilogy. Okay. So. All right. Ryan T. Mandel wrote in on Patreon, just Hi, like Ryan. you guys can. He said, Hi, guys, let me start with a bold statement. Star mm. Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace is the best Don't mainline it, Star Wars movie. Just kidding. Oh, whew. however, <laughs> I am of the opinion that Phantom Menace is the best movie of the prequel trilogy. You'll find complete agreement with us there, Absolutely. Ryan. Putting aside Jar Jar and pod racing, I think the story is generally solid and nicely sets in motion events that were only hinted at in the original movies or touched upon lore. Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson really make the movie as Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Darth Maul is one of the most badass villains. I like that he doesn't speak and, and not much is known about him. The lightsaber duel is epic in this movie and hands down the best lightsaber battle of any Star Wars movie. From a filming perspective, I think episode one had a very nice balance of CGI and practical effects. Episode two and three are too heavy on CGI and qual and the quality of the CG varies wildly. In general, I'm not too upset what Lucas has done has gone back and changed the Star Wars films, but replacing Puppet Yoda with CG Yoda in episode one after release was a mistake. Regardless, this movie had an impact on me at 13 years old and kicked off my love of Star Wars. Ken Veland wrote in and said, I was born in 1999, so I wasn't around for the fever pitch excitement for this movie. But I know that when I got the six film box set after Revenge of the Sith came out, TPM, or The Phantom Menace, was seldom in the DVD player. I think even as a kid, I could tell this movie was lacking in substance and didn't give me reasons to rewatch like the original trilogy films did, even if I had more updated effects that were meant to catch my attention. Knowing this was the new Star Wars when I was a kid makes me happy for the kids growing up with the, in my opinion, much superior sequel trilogy. The sequel trilogy is much better than the prequel trilogy, but of course doesn't hold a candle to the original as well. Agreed. Another introductory thing that we're doing here. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Mark, or I'm sorry, Matt Kurlowski said, I will never forget going to the theater with my dad and brother and finally getting to see Phantom Menace. The hype for this movie as a nine-year-old was insane and I walked out of the theater loving it, although I can remember my dad didn't seem as impressed. I devoured the merchandise too. I had the original Naboo Starfighter Lego. While my opinion of the movie has certainly lowered over the years, I still love the design of the ships and the locations and the duel with Darth Maul is easily one of the highest points of the prequels and the Phantom Menace felt most like classic Star Wars visually of the prequels to me even to this day. Okay. And All finally... Right. Setting the stage, Simon Corey wrote in and said, Hi, my name is Simon, and I have been 13 years prequel sober. It is a hard time. It is hard sometimes. Sorry to start <laughs> negative, but I am a prequel denier. These films do not exist, and my daughter will never watch them. Oh. Now to the positive. When this film came out, I was so excited to see it. I remember my dad coming home from work with a VHS. He had managed to get a pirated copy of The Phantom Menace. I cannot believe it. It was not due to see it for another seven days at the cinema. I was so excited to watch it. I ran upstairs, put it on, and watched it two times in a row that night. And I loved it. The pod race, the droid fights, and the three-way lightsaber fight. What, what droid fights were in there? What, fighting against the, the droids? Is that what he's... Is that oh, what? oh, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like the battle droids. Okay, I got battle what you're saying. Battle droids or the droidy cars or whatever. Yeah, the droidy the cars. Droidy cars. I was so desperate for more Star Wars having been born in 1979. I hated Jar Jar Binks from the start. It was a bad cinema cam job, but I didn't care. I must have watched it daily for about a month. It wasn't until I, uh, until I watched it on DVD that I start to see all the issues. Like everyone back then, we were in Star Wars denial. At least I would make millions mm. from buying all the merchandise. All right. I got to say about the kid. My kids haven't seen the prequels either. My kids aren't tremendous Star Wars fans, but they certainly showed an interest, especially with the, the, the latest trilogy. Looking forward to the last one. They're looking forward to episode nine, especially my daughter, my oldest. But I'm starting to think maybe that's not the best idea. You know, I, I think maybe you let them form an opinion for themselves. You yeah, know? you can't keep it away from them. In fact, it's intriguing to see what they think. I would think it's a kind of intrigue. It intrigues me now to see. I, I understand, you know, having, you know, sort of creating some revisionist history and taking some control over what they see and just, you know, inherently, if you do think they're bad films, 
that like I do, then trying to keep it out of their, you know, out of their vantage point. But I don't know. Maybe that's not, you know, now I'm really thinking about it. I haven't thought about it in a while. I should also say, I should also frame this by saying, Kyle, I don't own, Phantom Menace is the only of the prequel prequel trilogy movies that I own. It's the only one that I've seen more than once. Episode 2 and Episode 3 I've only seen in the theater that one time. So I have very little recollection of those two films. Didn't like either one of them. Lucky you. So that's another thing that you guys should probably know, you know, going into it. Right. Yeah, you've managed to stay away from them. Episode two, I just saw on TV a year or two ago, and it's really bad. I, I just can't, I can't stand that I remember movie. hating that one the most. Yeah, it, it might. It really I think they get progressively worse, but it's pretty much indistinguishable between two and three. I really do think that this one, Phantom Menace, is by far the best one. I'm sure we'll get to them. I'm sure you guys will vote for them. Yeah, just keep <laughs> fucking torturing us all you want. All right, Dagan, The Phantom Menace, episode okay. one, came out go. May 19th, 1999. I remember seeing it. We saw it in Connecticut. When you were living up there, opening day, opening show with dad, I took the day off from school. I was in ninth grade. You had already started working in the animation industry. I had. This was a $115 million budget or $150 million budget and a one plus billion dollar box office draw written and directed by George Lucas and produced by Rick McCallum, who also produced the other prequels as well as the special edition Star True. Wars movies, which I have a much less problem with than, than the prequels. I actually like the special edition Star Wars to a degree. All right. Dagan, let's just start real broadly before we get into anything else. What do you make of this movie? Okay. So here's the thing about Star Wars The Phantom Menace. The first thing, one of the first things we have to say is that, well, let me give you guys a little background if you don't know. I grew up, uh, I, you know, I was born in late, in late 1973. My first exposure to Star Wars, I think, to my best recollection was not seeing Star Wars A New Hope on the big screen. I probably saw it for the first time in late 1977, projected on the wall, or it might have been, it might have even been late 1978. I'm not sure about that. But projected on the wall of my father's firehouse, I've told this story before, at one of the, at one of the Christmas parties. It was either December 77 or December 78. Somebody had it, projected it on the wall, and that was it. From that moment, literally, literally that moment, I remember, you know, dribs and drabs of that particular evening, but I remember being so intrigued with it and just so absorbed and sucked in by it that I was a lifelong Star Wars fan. It never stopped for me all through, you know, the first three films. I was a I was an avid toy collector, as we've talked about on the show before. So I was a lifelong Star Wars fan. So as I was kind of trying to frame my conversation for this episode, I think it's really important to start by saying that as somebody in my early to mid-20s when this film came out, I was still a very avid Star Wars fan. This film, maybe even to this day, was the, was the, the single most hyped movie event of my life, maybe up to even this point, but certainly up to being a 24-year-old or however, I, however old I was. I think I was 24 at the time. There was no other film with this degree of hype, especially if you were a Star Wars fan. We watched the trailer hundreds of times. People used to go see Meet Joe Black to see the trailer. Yes. Remember that? Yes, that was the first time. That's a great That's a great thing to interject into this conversation. That was the first time people were actually paying to go see or sneaking in to go see movies just to see a trailer. That was the first time we had ever witnessed that. And is that especially it, it, it was sort of a it was sort of a pop culture hype, not just for Star Wars fans. Everybody was sort of absorbed by this, but especially as Star Wars fans, you know, this is this movie coming about about 15 years after, you know, Return of the Jedi in 1983. So we were really I mean, the, the amount of hype was unbelievable. You know, watching movie trailers hundreds of times, 
we went to Toys R Us to get the merchandise. We waited at midnight for the doors to open to buy all the toys and the and the and the action figures and sort of sort of saw that event a lot of the merchandise especially the toys as like you know potential spoilers like what can we what clues can we glean about the movie through getting the merchandise it was really really exciting so it's really important to say that i think because a lot of the disappointment i think came from you know not i'm not making excuses you certainly won't find me making excuses for this film but a lot of the disappointment and the degree of the disappointment came from the amount of hype we had going in because we expected this to be we were really looking forward to loving this film and loving the following films to come so that's a very important thing to first note and you know we saw it, Colin myself and my dad saw it up in Connecticut in Winstead Connecticut when the film came out and you know, there's there's just a lot to say about it. But the first things I remember feeling in retrospect now were that it didn't seem right from almost the very start. But I didn't realize that right away. It took, you know, a lot of people express this phenomenon and this, their experience with this film. I think you have a very similar experience with this film, Kyle. But the, the sort of negativity and all the issues I have with the film soaked in slowly over time. It took a matter of weeks to maybe even a month or two for me to realize and to and to admit to myself that this movie was not what I hoped it would be. But I did I do remember sitting in that in the movie theater and recognizing that those that that nuance, that sort of feeling, even if it was in like sort of like my subconscious, that something is not right here. And I think really why this is is this film I would say the whole prequel trilogy, but you have to remember this film in particular, The Phantom Menace, is the connective tissue between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. And it just doesn't work as a Star Wars film in the same vein as the original trilogy. It's a completely different movie. And it, I think it's very, I think ultimately to start in broad strokes and then work our way in, I think it's very misguided. I think that either intentionally or inadvertently this film was not created for star wars fans this film was not created for a star wars fan that grew up in the 70s and 80s loving star wars and that was always obsessed with star wars and that was always anticipating the next thing this film was made for four-year-olds i mean that that only becomes more clear now i think i've seen it four times now all the way through and that only becomes more clear every time i see it now i'm not saying that that's what they were intending but if you go in and look at the movie, there is no way. There is almost there are there is very little appeal for me, in my opinion, for a, a fan of the original trilogy. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Absolutely. So, and you know, it's also really important to say this, Kyle. This film was we wait now. When Return of the Jedi ended in 1983, George Lucas said that it was over. You have to remember that. So we always knew that. We never thought, let me put it this way, we never thought that we would get another Star Wars film. So the fact that we were getting something only added to the extreme amount of excitement. I can't even express that enough. The fact that we were getting new Star Wars stuff was such a treat because we really at some point accepted the tragedy of not having any more Star Wars. And, you know, it was really sad when Return of the Jedi ended and then we got those, you know, those things that came later, which were kind of the fringe, like the Ewok movies, the made-for-TV Ewok movies and the droids cartoon. And the thing, you know, those meager 
you know, those meager scraps that we were fed to try to continue any kind of Star Wars fandom. So just having new movies was such, you know, was such an event for us. And I think that also adds to the disappointment. Is that a fair way to start the conversation? Am I leaving anything out? No, I think it's a perfectly fair way. I mean, it's funny because you as someone in their mid-20s, when the movie came out, I think that you kind of came to that realization even quicker than I did. I think it probably took me... I mean, really, in hindsight, I was in ninth grade about to, you know, enter 10th grade when this movie came out. It's like the end of my ninth grade year. Yeah. And I don't know that it was until like I was in 11th grade, maybe like when it was on DVD or I had it on VHS or whatever it was when I went and bought it where I was like, wow, this isn't very good. And I love that you brought up in the beginning that we don't have to love everything about Star Wars. And what was interesting about this moment in time for me, this was, of course, what, uh, 13 years before Disney bought the bought it, you know, bought Star Wars. This was when the EU was, I think, still in its dominant phase or kind of exiting its dominant phase. And at this point, it was weird to have bad Star Wars. So I think that that was what was hard about us coming to come kind of grappling with that because it it was truly unexpected. Now, I wasn't a sophisticated 13 or 14 or whatever the fuck I was. It wasn't like I had this sophisticated film taste. It's just that I don't think anyone went into it thinking it was going to be anything less than awesome because why wouldn't it be? And so I think it's perfectly fair to say that it kind of just sunk in over time. And the reason I wanted to go into this movie watching it again with you last night as fairly as possible was because I know that the well is poisoned with this movie permanently. And there's really no objectively going into it for newcomers anymore. I don't know how you could possibly go into this movie not knowing how much everyone hates it. Right. 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 And that the conventional wisdom actually says that the prequels get better. A lot of people think that, you know, a lot of people think a lot of a lot of people think Revenge of the Sith is the best of the three, which I think is ridiculous. But I can't see that. I can't stand that movie. But but it's it's one of those things where I just wouldn't accept it. I, there was parts of it that I really liked. I loved Darth Maul. I thought Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon's performances were really good. I still think those things are true. Right. And I guess that's the real tragedy of this is that it had the trappings of something really special. I think the casting of some of the protagonists was right on. I think like focusing the story around Obi-Wan Kenobi and his relationship with his master was really smart. I think we were interested in how and why Anakin came to be and all those kinds of things. So it's not that the foundation or the idea behind it was bad. It was just that the execution was really poor. We noticed that the space scenes hold up very well as far as the starfighters and the spaceships and everything set in space looked great still holds it holds up really well. Absolutely. There's a lot and there's a lot that doesn't hold up well, too, which is which is okay. kind of the, the other side of the coin sure. of this movie. Absolutely. With some of the bad lighting and just the, the the buzz around people on blue screens and all those kinds of things. You can kind of tell that it looks like I could have shot some of this stuff better. You know, oh, some I can't of the, wait so, to talk about all this. But at the same time, I just don't know that we understood in 1999 that George Lucas, George Lucas himself was the problem. I don't know that anyone really wrap their mind around that at the time that like he's actually working so far outside of the system, having created the original trilogy and the Indiana Jones trilogy and all these kinds of things where he kind of has carte blanche. Too and, much power. Yeah, too much power. Too much power. Which is why Red Letter Media's stuff is so funny because they just focus so much on how afraid people were of him. Rick McCallum famously looked like he just saw his mom get hit by a bus when they saw the <laughs> Phantom Menace's first cut, it's right? So That's the funny. famous like shot. He yeah. He literally looks like he's about to cry. And I know that people like read into that. I really believe that he he was dismayed at that moment when he saw it. He was and he realized like that. And they realized that it was just too late. I like it was that. over. Like there was really not much more you can do. Right. It's it, the date is set. The money is the marketing's in, in play. You can't hold the movie. You can't fix it. 
which I wish they really did. I wish that they really like looked at it and said, like, let's just delay this thing like for a year. Right. George Lucas could have written the check himself. They could have taken the time to kind of get this right, reorganize it, you know, do some reshooting. They did reshoot a bunch of stuff, actually. They did. So it's not like they couldn't have done that, but they didn't. And so we ended up getting the movie that we got. But there's something really interesting. There's a George Lucas quote that I found from 2015. So three years after he sold it to Disney. This is what he said about the movie. Okay. Okay. And this, I think, is complete bullshit. And this is where I really want to begin. This is what he said about Phantom Menace? Yes. Okay. This is George Lucas's quote. And this was on StarWars.com, by the way. All right. Quote. The films were designed for 12 year olds. I said that right from the very, very beginning and the very first interviews I did for A New Hope. It's just that they were so popular with everybody. Everybody forgot that. End quote. That's nonsense. And here's why I say that. Episode one is about a trade embargo. Okay, no one that's 12 years old knows what the fuck a trade embargo is. This movie wasn't made. For 12 year olds. Right. That's nonsense. The word trade is is mentioned in the first two sentences of the opening crawl. Right. It. Uh, I remember reading that for the first time and not really. I remember seeing episode one actually for the first time and not really even understanding what it was about because that was not what was important. When I was when it, watching it in subsequent replay, I was like, OK, it, it's like this political thriller kind of, you know, just like 12 year olds like. So it's it's weird to me that it's a lot of excuse making. I feel like. <laughs> That's insane. Kyle, and this is the first, not to cut you off, this yeah. is the first two sentences of the opening call. Are you okay. ready? Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. Yeah, I mean, that's some that's some stuff for 12-year-olds, guys. I mean, come on. Like, that. I was literally learning about disputed trade routes as an American history major. <laughs> you know? Like, that's for people, that, that's, so I really feel like this has been one 20-year-long cop-out by George Lucas, who just refuses to admit it's just, that he messed this up. And I know that there's a lot of wishful thinking grass is always greener kind of shit. I mean, I remember people playing around with the idea and the rumors playing around. George Lucas is going to direct one of these motherfucking new Star Wars movies, right? He's going to come back and do it. Right. And he doesn't control it anymore. And they did consult with him. And I did feel bad. There's that 60 Minutes interview with George Lucas where he kind of looked sad about, you know, selling it, selling it to Disney oh, and losing control. It. Yeah, definitely, he definitely, definitely regretted, regretted it at some point. But you know, and I don't know that I would regret any, getting four billion dollars or anything. You do whatever you want that's if I owned it. But it's a lot of cash. But I agree. You know, I wanted to. That quote stuck out to me to the point where I wrote it out in my notebook because it's just the it's the encapsulation of this two decade cop out that's been going on. Not only with the people that worked on the movie, because I have other quotes from people that worked on the movie as well. Yeah. It, contemporary quotes, not quotes from back in the day. Right. About the movie. But also just what you said earlier, Dagan, which is why can't people just accept what now? Listen, I should back up. All critical opinion is is pretty much subjective. I talk about of this course, all the time in, in games. Right. You can objectively criticize a game and say like, well, the jump button's not on the right. You know, it's not mapped right or whatever. But, uh, you know, so you can say like facts. But otherwise, there's it's a subjective thing. But why is it that Star Wars fans seem to have or some Star Wars fans, the most hardcore Star Wars fans, yeah. seem like their fandom is wrapped up in liking everything? I think we've gotten to the point now, like I was saying, there was no bad Star Wars really back when this came out. We've gotten to the point now where most Star Wars is bad. And that's 20 mm. years apart, right? Where like I we had of it that way. we had an EU that was being run by Timothy Zahn and all these great writers. We had three really great films. We had some shitty little cartoons and things that people didn't care about. The special editions came out in 97. They were pretty good. Great. And got everyone really excited. The toys were, you know, are great. And, the, you know, the, the Star Wars Trivial Pursuit and the Star Wars Monopoly. There's just like everything going on. There's yeah. a lot of great Star Wars. Now think about it. Now tell me with a straight face mm. that most Star Wars is good. It's bullshit. Yeah, the majority. 
You're right about right? that, Kyle. So, I mean, you're absolutely right about that. So this is the beginning of the complete tanking of how I felt about Star Wars. And it's a real shame because I was thinking about how interesting my particular age bracket was when these prequels came out. I was in ninth grade yeah. when episode one came out. I was a senior in high school when episode two came out. And I was a junior in college when episode three came out. And by the time I saw episode three, I was fed up with this with this stuff like yeah. where I couldn't take it. In fact, I walked out of episode three and didn't see it all the way through until later. Because well, I couldn't handle how, like, I know it sounds crazy because it's so much passion, right, for us. Yeah. But I really, I remember being being in Burkhaven Multiplex with Mike Pope, my best friend from childhood, sure. watching, you know, I was home for the summer. It was 2005. It was the last time I ever lived at home with dad. And I remember going opening night with him and, or it was like opening weekend. And I remember looking at him and be like, I can't stand this. Like, I just can't take this. I, I, I you, cause you kept going into the next one. Yeah. I remember going into episode two. I, I didn't go to school that day. We, dad and I went to the first oh, show events. Yeah. And I was like, they're going to fix this. The, the, there's no way this is the empire strikes back, right? Of the prequels trilogy. Yes. There's no way that they're not going to fix this. George Lucas had three years to tweak and, and do all these kinds of things. And there right. was all those rumors. And I don't think there were rumors about how like the Backstreet Boys were going to be in the ep episode two and Jar Jar Banks was going to have a bigger role. And he did pair those things out. Right. And, yeah. and did pair those things down. So it was like he was learning a thing or two, but episode two just let me down. And by the time I got to episode three, I was just hoping for something that could salvage any of this. Sure. And I didn't, I didn't receive it. So in reality, I look at episode one as just the strongest of the attempts. And, George Lucas seemed to have just not understood what he created. And that happens. He's not it's not unique to him. People do that all the time. It's funny that it took Gary Whitta, uh, you know, who I know personally, nice guy to write the screenplay for Rogue One, which I would argue. And we were talking about this at dinner with dad. I think you can make the argument that that's even better than Empire Strikes Back, that movie. So it took someone like totally outside long after Lucas let it go to really get the essence of what he had created. Yes, sort of you either get it or you don't type thing. And I love that you reminded me about that, Kyle, because that was always my biggest source of frustration. I used to say that a lot back in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's preposterous for me back then. I know what you're saying. This is not a phenomenon exclusive to George Lucas. But back then, especially with, around the you know around the time that the prequel trilogy was contemporary and they were still fresh, that was always my biggest bone of contention was like, how can somebody who created this be so inherently detached from their own vision? How can he not get it? He created it. Not only did he create it, he created the universe. He created everything. But it, it, it was all drawn from his imagination and his inspiration. But he did it three times. Now, you could talk about the other players involved, whether it's the Kirshners or whoever else were were involved in the you know you could even go back to the conceptual art and all the brilliant stuff that was created for the films the original trilogy I'm referring to but how can he be so in how how can George Lucas not get it he did it he created this that was always a really big source of frustration for me and I also have to say Kyle mm. I think this dawned on me yesterday I think your generational's perspective on the prequel trilogy especially the first film especially episode 1 is the most important because you guys are the least biased, I would say. Four-year-old, when this came out, four-year-olds were going to love it because they loved the dinosaur on TV and they were going to love the same nonsense they saw out of Jar Jar Banks. That silliness, goofiness, you know, you know, P.U., I stepped in duty, whatever the hell yeah, it is. Banta poodoo. Banta poodoo. You know, all Jesus. that silly, you know, so four-year-olds, they can't make up their own minds. We, my generation in our 20s or even late teens to early to mid-20s and older, you could, we were already so biased and jaded as adults that maybe our, you know, our sort of take on it wasn't to be fully trusted. 
But your generation had a very distinct vantage point to the movies because you guys were born around the time Return of the Jedi came out or after, such as yourself. And I think your input would probably be the most valuable at that age. So it's very ironic that George Lucas said, you know, sort of retcons, tries to retcon episode one by saying that it was created for 12-year-olds. Plus, I have to say, even if it was created for 12-year-olds, that's inherently the wrong way to treat this. I could see if you if you said, okay, we're going to make a whole new Star Wars trilogy separate from what already exists. It's going to exist in the same universe we're going to go on later or we're going to deal with different characters. But to go back and make a prequel trilogy about one of the most iconic bad guys ever created in fiction and center the story around his rise and fall and then say that's for 12-year-olds. I mean, come, <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, I'm not a smart guy. I, I just thought that through. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to know that's bullshit. No, and, and that's I agree with you. And that's why it's so frustrating to read that kind of stuff, because I'm not even so sure. Now, listen, I was born in 1984. I was born after the original trilogy was already done. I didn't right. see Star Wars until the late 80s. I, I became really enamored with it by the early 90s. I've seen Empire Strikes Back, New Hope, Jedi, probably 50 times plus each. Right. I really I mean, I used to rent those movies from Brookhaven Library in the 90s and just watch them constantly. I rent Empire, especially, and watch it three times in a row. I just was obsessed with it. Or I would go straight to the to the Carbonite scene or the, the Boba Fett scenes in, in Cloud City and stuff like that and all the stuff that I really wanted to see. And I don't know. So I, I don't know that I even really believe that this movie, the original movies were made for kids. I think that that's what ended up being kind of the draw for because there's toys and there's merchandise and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's funny. There are no kids in Star Wars, in the original Star Wars movies, right? That, there are no, important. there are no like, there's no one to gleam onto. Everyone now says, "Oh, 3PO and R2." Like George Lucas says, everyone hated 3PO for at first too, and I'm like, no, they didn't. No, no, they didn't. True. That's not true. That's crap. So he might have been one of the least popular characters because he was prim and proper, and you wanted right. to be cool. He wasn't cool like Han Solo or Luke, or later on Lando, or even R2, who was sort of sarcastic and funny. Or you know, Leia was a great role model and all that kind of stuff. I could see 3PO being, you know, I remember thinking that about 3PO, but. He fit into the story and was just as appeal, you know, he appealing in his own way. Right. It, it's it, to compare him, for instance, to Jar Jar, something which is what Lucas does later on a lot in interviews. It's just like, come on, man. No. I, I, it's just That's I ridiculous. just, you know, I would have really appreciated George Lucas a lot more if he could just have admitted that he might have made a mistake with these movies. And I think that unfortunately, when Disney bought Star Wars and you know, Lucas basically in 2012. And then they started to talk about the things they were going to do in 2013, 2014, when they started to say, you know, we're making the new movies, we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. They had an opportunity to fix this by casting these movies out and either doing them again, which I think would have been awesome, right? To just rewrite these movies, redo them. I mean, I think it might've caused a lot of, I mean, I think, I think it's a tough thing to do because there's, there's feelings involved, but you know, since when has Hollywood been about feelings? Right. And even you then, know, it's he like sold it. The, the funny thing too, Dagan, is that they could have gotten all the players that mattered again. They could have just been like Liam Neeson and, and Ewan McGregor are going to come back. Right. They're going to reprise their roles. Right. Right. Ewan McGregor was like 28 or something as Obi-Wan. You can make wow, it. He was that young. Yeah, because I think he's only in his 40s now. He's like 47 or 48. OK, so makes sense. So you can. I mean, hey, actually, they filmed this like in 96, so, right, 90, so 97, so he's like, he, like in his mid-20s. Yeah. So you can put makeup on him and make them fe feel younger and stuff. And it probably he probably was actually maybe even a little too young considering Alec Guinness in A New Hope where it kind of didn't quite match up. But yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is, is that I had this glimmer, this like hope in me, this flame in me when it happened. I'm like, they, Disney's going to know what to do. 
right? They're going to know that the only things that really matter here yeah. are the original trilogy, but they got rid of all the stuff that that mattered, right? Like they got rid of the EU and they got rid of all these other things and then they kept these pieces of shit movies yes. intact, right? And I, I already understand what Ben was saying in the letter in the beginning. This is an inherently negative conversation and that's why I want to start with a positive thought or, or go into a positive thought here, which, and I will say this, and I said it to you when we were watching the movie yesterday. Yeah. The first 10, movie, 10 minutes of the movie is awesome. Like, I love the first 10 minutes of the it's movie. It's not bad at all. It's, it's, it's exciting. You're, you meet the Jedi immediately. You see, like, new things about them. Like, the, they, like I love when Qui-Gon shoves the lightsaber into the blast yes. door. And, like, and they start to close it. And then he just keeps digging it in that's deeper. that's something we always wanted to see. Right. What and like how these they, things do? Right. They run away. Yeah. They put, like, they hold their breath. And, like, and they, like, light their lightsabers up when the, when the, the protocol droid opens up the door. And the, and the battle droids are there. And I don't really have a huge problem with the Trade Federation guys. I know that a lot of the people look at them as racist caricatures. I don't really have a, I, I really never had a problem with like Newt Gunray and those guys I just didn't I, okay. I, there's something about the way the movie starts where I'm like this you had it you just you had it for just a moment you seem to be ho- holding on to right it. like you you got it why what yeah. happens yeah and what ends up happening I think Dagan is that they go to Naboo and then it all falls apart and what's funny is is that the last 10 minutes of the movie are great too like the last 15 minutes of the movie Good, good, you know, space battle. Yeah. Very Star Wars space battle. It's like Endor space battle above the fight on Endor. The fight on Naboo is going on. The Jedi are fighting each other. There's like this whole mysticism about it. Yeah. And obviously, I agree with what's already been said. Darth Maul is awesome. And the fight at the end with Ray Park kind of. Oh, we were laughing. I'm like, man, Ray Park must have really had to like tone it down, you know, because he's so talented as a martial artist. Right. And he's kind of, you know, there's some cool stuff about him teaching them and, and all that. Oh, he's and, awesome. I love watching all the training footage when he has the black eye and right. everything like that. It's really, really cool. So I love that there's something here to glean onto. And if they just kept that consistency from the beginning, and I think this is why an, another thing that's important is that the beginning of the movie is almost all practical. There's there's a, a big controversy, obviously, about how much CGI is used and how that increases as we get to episode two and episode three. And even Ewan McGregor has talked about how like totally how much it sucked. Yeah. As the movies went on, he says, I think his quote was like, it's a real shame that they had to act like that. And it got worse as time went on. And he was contractually obviously obligated to continue to do these films. Right. And was being paid a pretty penny to do them oh, as well. Of course, of course. But uh, how do you feel about that? Like that the first 10 minutes, because of its practical nature, the introduction to the two best characters in the movie. Yeah. And this setting this in motion in such a way where it's very intriguing. You kind of get a look at Palpatine. Yeah. And all this kind of stuff. It, it, it ties in immediately to Jedi in that way. Return of the Jedi. So what do you think about that, about the first 10 minutes? I think the first 10 minutes of the movie are arguably the strongest 10 minutes in all of the prequels. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think it's I think it's fairly strong. I do think the beginning is fairly strong. And we, we, you know, we were reminded of that last night when we were watching. And it falls apart for me before we get to Jar Jar and everything like that. Because, you know, just in general, what you know, and I think, well, first of all, the Viceroy character does bother me a lot. I can't stand the voice. It's really goofy. I think it's one of the first things that really bothered me and sort of sent those elusive chills down my spine as a, you know, when I was first watching in the theater. Like, something's not right here. It just seems a little weird. And, but what happened, you know, the best two actors in the movie and the best two performances in Obi-Wan and and Qui-Gon by Ewan McGregor and uh, Liam Neeson are just, they're, they, the fact that we start with the best characters and the best performances, they're very authentic performances. They both do a great job. 
Ewan McGregor is especially easy to be critical of because he's sort of taking up the mantle. He's taking up the baton for Alec Guinness. Who's a renowned actor. Renowned actor and a great performance in Obi-Wan. And Ewan McGregor does a great job in Ewan. We were talking about that a little earlier today and embodying what that a younger version of that character. And Qui-Gon I like even better than I originally liked him. I like that he is sort... You get to see sort of... I like that character because you get to see where Obi-Wan came from and where where he learned everything from. And that's a really important thing. So to get that wrong would have been really tragic. And to do a bad... If, if Liam Neeson did a bad job at that, it would have been pretty tragic. So to see that, you know, this this figure, he's very subdued, he's very calm... You know, he's obviously got a lot of wisdom he's trying to impart to his young Padawan, to his young apprentice. I liked that whole thing. And starting the movie with that, whether that was intentional or not, really worked. It worked well. That worked well in the movie's favor. It starts to fall apart for me when you first see Natalie Portman because I think she's so, you know, it's it's been said a million times, but she's so wooden in this movie. And I understand she plays you know, a dignitary and there's supposed to be a regalness and a nobility, but that doesn't mean act wooden. There were other ways for her and I'm no actor, but there were other ways for her to, I understand, you know, listen, we're going to get to this part of the conversation. I understand George Lucas is notoriously bad with actors. He's not, George Lucas is not a traditional director like a Martin Scorsese or, you know, a Quentin Tarantino where they, they're amazing at writing dialogue and envisioning a scene and directing actors and trying to steer actors and by, you know, at the same time giving them freedom to do what they want. And I think he, I, I have seen footage. So I should say, I know he creates a very uncomfortable setting for, for creating a movie. And you could actually see the actor's discomfort. The fact that Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor were able to rise above that and and some other actors too. I mean, Palpatine. That, yeah, Ian McDermott. Ian McDermott is always does a wonderful job. Yeah, he's excellent. Always does a wonderful job. But I think it's very hard for actors. I mean, we see that we see this later with Hayden Christensen as well. I think you could see the discomfort on their face. A lot of it is that they have to act with. It's very difficult. I'm sure it's inherently very difficult to act against things that aren't there. You know, when you're when you're so concentrated on CGI, but. Yeah, I mean, if we're stopping short of talking beyond the first 10 minutes, I think the first 10 minutes are good. I think I, I would have liked to seen it, you know, and this is, this is a very Dagan-esque perspective, but I would have liked to seen it pushed further. We waited 15 years to see Jedis again. They do give us the really awesome thing about, you know, melting the door and, you know, they're, they're deflecting you know, laser blasts and they're doing, you know, a little, it's a little more kinetic and a little more action packed than all the lightsaber stuff that we saw in the original trilogy. But, you know, we get little tastes of other things like a force push, you know, Obi-Wan does a force push to one of the battle droids. There's another really weird thing that I've never really discussed with anyone before where they do a little teleport. Oh, when they run? They do, yeah. yeah when yeah. they're starting to run, they sort of teleport off the side of the screen. Why not? It's almost, it's barely noticeable, actually. It's there, but it's like, did I? Did that just happen? Why not exaggerate that? Why not let them teleport a little bit or do some bitching things in that scene that we haven't seen yet? So I think it could have been pushed further, but all in all, it was really cool that, you know, they were sent, you know, I like that the characters were sent to sort of solve a problem and they were kind of serving as ambassadors. And then, the you know, the quote unquote bad guys were sort of intimidated that, you know, it's sort of they perceived that the, the other side of things were sending muscle and they were afraid of that. So I thought, yeah, I think for the first 10 minutes, I think it was going in, in an OK direction, 
even though the Viceroy and the other goo- that stood out to me as very goofy. Now that could have been again being. I, w- I want to make sure we're constructive. I don't, and I don't think it's negative as long as we're being constructive. But, you know, as a 24-year-old who already is very set in his ways already about what Star Wars should be and about what I really wanted to see on the screen, even if I couldn't necessarily articulate that beat for beat, I was already very set in my ways about Star Wars. So maybe those guys could have got a pass. It was just like, oh, that's a little goofy. You know, so is Nee Numb. Right. You know what I mean? So I want to be fair about that. So I would leave it there for the first 10 minutes. Where The first thing that really bothers me is the first time we see Natalie Portman's character, when we see Queen Abadala on the screen. And there's just something about the way she's the way she looks and the way she acts. It's just not right. You know, it's not... I understand. That's that's a character that we're, we're hoping is t- that is taking the man. This is Princess Leia's mom. I understand you have to see the royalty, the courage, the nobility, the bravery. You have to get, you have to put that through the character, and we're we're, we're supposed to see where Leia comes from with that character. But at no point was Carrie Fisher wooden. No, quite the opposite. You know I mean, she I mean? was dynamic. I mean, that was what was so weird to me about this whole faux feminist drive with the new trilogy, especially with Ryan Johnson's wonderful Episode Eight. <laughs> is that like everyone was like, "Oh, Laura Dern," and look at you know, Carrie Fisher so strong and look at these females. I'm like, what are you talking about? Dude, 1977, Princess Leia was like arguably the bravest character in the entire movie, actually. Han Solo didn't want anything to do with it unless it had money involved and Luke was dumb. He he didn't know what he was doing at all. He was in way over his head and Uh. obviously the droids are just along for the ride. Leia was like the ground. Leia was a badass. She stood up to she stood up to Darth Vader and like basically insults him. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's awesome from the very start with that. character. So I I totally agree with you. Like Leia was a dynamic actor. In fact, Harrison Ford obviously is so talented, but it's not like Mark Hamill was the most talented actor. He's he's come into his own, obviously, especially as a voice talent in these days, but and and started in the 90s, really. But to me, I I look at it and I, I agree with you. She doesn't seem like Leia's mom. Now, what does that mean? I, right. I don't know what that means, but it, it, he she doesn't she doesn't portray herself that well. And I, I forgot about this when I was reading about it, but I forgot that Kira Knightley is in this as and she's often she's actually often Amidala and Padme, I guess, or whatever the handmaid. And, you know, like how they I always thought it was both were Natalie Portman and they were doing some stitching or whatever in the right. in post. But that wasn't true. I totally forgot about that. Right, so right. it's also hard for me to tell. And I'd have to really go back and study it and go like, who is actually Kiara Knightley and who is like what wh- a delivery. little confusing. It's a little strange. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I like that. And I like the whole idea of Padme or Amidala being kind of like using her bodyguards as as decoys. It's great. It's, it's a cool a great idea. Again, it's another neat idea. And she's really a powerful female character. I love at the end when she like takes the two blasters out of her throne when they go back to Naboo and she like throws one at her security guard or whatever and there's a lot of cool stuff in there and she kills a lot of these battle droids and she's she refuses to surrender and she really is headstrong and, courageous right she's headstrong she doesn't want all of these things happening but the the, the movie's so political which is fine because I think politics play a, a part in Star Wars but again it's it's it confronts and doesn't make any sense with the whole notion again of Lucas being like, this is for kids and stuff like that. Well, is it? Cause we're talking about like a vote of no confidence in a chancellor in front of a Congress in front of a sense. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, It's strange. It, it's a little to strange. It is a little strange. strange. Now I want to talk about Jar Jar pl- okay, played please. by Ahmed best. Now, a couple of years ago, an interview came out with Ahmed best. That was obviously really sad and made 
the rounds with a lot of people where he was really quite personally injured and even suicidal over the way that he was treated and the character was treated and and all of this Jar Jar Binks being kind of the comic relief character or whatever. But it became immediately clear to me. And I guess, again, we were just so excited seeing it when it came out that he's obnoxious. It's not even that he's annoying. He's actually really annoying. And you're talking about Jar Jar. Jar Jar. Right, right. Yeah, not I'm at best. (laughs) I'm at best, of course, a really talented musician and and dancer. They found him because he was doing, you know, Stomp, which was a great Broadway production. Right, That's right. And that's where they found him. And so he's all he's he moves and, very and physical. yeah, very physical. Right. And and so if th- that's what they wanted out of Jar Jar, that's what they got. But I don't know. It's funny, man, because I don't know how anyone looked at this and been like, this is going to pass muster. And I was reading some of the old criticism from the, from May 1999 and everyone hated him. It wasn't like this thing that some critics were like, oh, Jar Jar is very endearing. Like he was the problem. And there's a apparently an, an exchange that happened between George Lucas and I guess Rick McCallum or something when the movies were about to come out, basically being like, everyone hates this guy. And George basically being like that they don't understand what they were going for he with this. Was but really champion championed this whole thing. It's just very believable. Sh- it's very strange because, again, even in test footage, like we, we that famous test footage from early, I think it was actually late 98 when they kind of assembled the film for the first time and all of that. It really does go back to like, could they have undone this if they really were honest with themselves? Yeah. Jar Jar's inserted so much in the movie and is actually quite essential to the story about with the what are they? The Gungans and, yeah. and all that. He is an essential intermediary between them. But couldn't they have gotten there in a different way without yes. him being in the movie at all? Because when you think about. I love Captain Tarpals. I think that's a really great character. I love him because he's kind of like the old haggard general yeah. of their army and stuff. Right. And right. I like him. He, wear, he rides that steed and stuff like that. And I like Boss Nass, too. I really don't have a huge problem with him either. Okay. But Jar... So, like, the whole civilization, that underwater civilization, it's kind of neat. Like, yeah. there's a planet in which there's a symbiotic relationship or a lack thereof between those on the surface and those underwater. And, in fact, the city underwater the cities underwater are somewhat unknown to anyone outside of Naboo because they do say that the battle the battle droids who for some reason have ranks which doesn't really make any sense are <laughs> going into the water to try to find these these wanted cities that apparently exist so right there's a lot of cool again a cool structure to work your way around okay there's this planet Naboo it's this water planet we've never seen that in a Star Wars movie before we've seen since but we've never seen a water planet we've seen a forest planet and a desert planet and a nice planet so yeah I understand what they were going for there but why not great visual set piece yeah not a bad idea that kind of like Venice a little bit like a neo Venice yeah. you know with the water butted right up against the buildings and right and you know boats and all these kinds of things and and they're not really a hostile people and and they're more of uh, this this democracy that doesn't really have a military and all this kind of stuff. But they just kind of drop the ball. And so I, I think that when Jar Jar is introduced and something you had brought up is that he then just doesn't go away for a while. And so it just becomes increasingly frustrating. And I wish because it would be an insult to Ahmad Best, which I don't I don't blame it on him. He was reading the dialogue and taking oh, no. the direction that was given right. to him. Right. And all those kinds of things. But. I wonder if even in, you know, and we might have to wait until Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor are much older and Natalie Portman when everyone can talk about this, but like yeah, statute when, of limitations, right? Exactly. Expires. When it, it doesn't really matter anymore. And I, I feel like the statute of limitations has long since expired because Lucas is not even involved anymore. So who, you're not even insulting mm, anyone that can have a point. problem with it. Although I do think Liam Neeson, or I'm sorry, Ewan McGregor is kind of holding on for that, the possibility of Supposed reprising Obi-Wan, yes. right? Which I think would be cool. I but, think it'd be fantastic. But Especially because I think that, again, there's a lot to tell between episode three and episode four. But 
I look at it and I'm like, can't, couldn't you have just undone this or couldn't you have minimized him in such a way like you did in episode two and episode three where he's basically just an ambassador and you barely see him at all? That clearly wasn't the intention when Jar Jar was written. He was clearly supposed to be in it in a heavy way throughout the rest of the prequels. So I wonder if they could have done something to just minimize his negative effect on this movie that must have been obvious even to the other players because I can't imagine that someone of Ewan McGregor and especially Liam Neeson's caliber were on that set acting with this guy and being like, this is going to work. In what universe did they believe that? Come on. Yeah. No, I agree with you, Kyle. I mean, you said it. I mean, Jar Jar, from the moment he gets on screen early in the film, he bombards our senses for minutes upon minutes upon minutes our eyes and ears and just never goes away and as you said he be he's not only he might have worked a lot better here's where i'll start with jar jar he might have worked a lot better if he provided you know levity and comic relief in you know in fits and starts throughout the film and came in to add a little bit of levity here and there but as you said the story center his story is part of the inter is integral to the story of the film i mean he even has a whole arc with like you know, being sort of an outcast from his people and being like a mischief maker and somebody who causes problems and has to prove himself and then eventually proves himself on the battlefield and becomes a champion for his people. You know, who gives a shit? First of all, so much. this is the thing about Jar Jar, okay? George Lucas really thought this was banking on this character being funny. And he, if you're not four years old, he isn't. He's just not funny. And another thing that I really noticed, I wanted I wanted to bring some new, you know, hopefully I bring some new perspective on Jar Jar that hopefully you guys haven't heard, or maybe you haven't heard to this degree. And just this whole conversation, I hope Colin and I could bring some some fresh perspective to, to this film in general. But for Jar Jar, there's something that I really noticed with, you know, when we talk about visual effects and CG animation. Now, we have to we have to put an asterisk on this because here's the thing. It's not fair to us to examine this film in a 2019 perspective. We have to go back and look at it. We have to go back and look at the CG and the visual effects in a late 90s perspective because the added problem for this film now is a lot of the a lot of even though it's ILM and even though it's, you know, it's George Lucas and it's LucasArts and it's it's, you know, Skywalker Ranch and all that kind of stuff. The the effects in this film don't necessarily hold up very well twenty years later. Okay, so we it's not fair to us to, to examine it in a contemporary perspective. We have to go back and look at it in the late nineties. Right, we're not and we're not talking about the aesthetic. No. here, right? We're talking about the reality of his character in the in the narrative. Yeah, the design of Jar Jar is a whole nother conversation. But does Jar Jar make no mistake? Jar Jar was designed to show off how good they were at CG animation with all the overlapping action on those long ears, and how rubbery he was, and how tall he was, and how you know how reed-like he was, and how much he moved with all the overlap of his wrist and his legs and all the showy stuff. Here's the thing: it's not natural. It's it's completely unnatural. It, he, Jar Jar does a thing where I I call this. He overacts, and I call this gesture acting. And if you guys go back and watch it, it's like watching a bad cartoon, and nobody really acts like that. It's unnatural. And even, even in a very exaggerated cartoon, in animation, there has to be, it has to be somewhat naturalistic and believable. Even if the art direction is very, is you know very pushed and very different and unique. Even if it's something that's complete, you know, even if it's something that's surreal or modern. But especially in something like this, where you have a character that is supposed to be real and grounded and interacting with real actors, 
and real human beings. He does a thing that I call gesture acting, which is that he gestures on every accent in the conversation, which is not natural. For instance, he'll say something like, I don't want to go there. So he'll say, I, right? He'll point to himself, don't want to, and he'll wave his hands in front of himself, go, point away, and he'll point there. Like he acts, there's a there's a gesture on every beat. I don't want to go. You know, like yeah. it's a car, it's, it's not, it's obnoxious. And even if you saw it, a little bit. Even if if Jar Jar had a quarter of the screen time, it might be a little more acceptable. But it's actually obnoxious, and it actually takes you out. Don't forget, this movie. What we wanted to see, the majority of us that weren't five, wanted to see was <laughs> right. We this was the story of how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. It's called the Phantom Menace. Remember that awesome poster? Yeah, with Annie and the you know he's casting the shadow of actual Darth Vader. That's what this is about. Okay, Jar Jar could have been a device in the film to add something else, a little bit of something for the kids or a little levity, a little comedic, you know, a little comedic spice or whatever it was. But he is when Jar Jar, Jar Jar becomes such a big part of this film. And, you know, we can't we can't also forget to mention how he talks, his inflection, which half the time you can't understand. It's silly. It's goofy. You know, we're trying to... That that was my experience with the film, I have to say. Now, I don't know if that was your experience, Kyle, or everybody listening to us, but my experience with the film was like, can we please, like, see what's going... Like, this movie is about... Like, looking at my watch, like, this movie is about how this kid becomes Darth Vader, right? What are we st- spending so much time on this rubbery character for? You know, it was just... It was just the opposite, I think, of what we wanted to see, which only compounds all the problems with Jar Jar. And, you know, but most of all, he wasn't funny. George Lucas loved this character enough to make him a main part of this film. He's in a lot of this movie. I think they say it like he's in like 440 something shots or something like that. That's a lot of a two in a, you know, what is this movie? 220 or two, something? Yeah, 216 or 217. So... That's where I would start the conversation with Jar Jar. I don't think it has to end there, but I think that's a really important place to start with him is that, you know, it's, you know, this character was made for, for little kids and that wasn't the intent. That really wasn't the audience of this film. I'm sure maybe little kids for, you know, what's funny about this, Kyle? I don't know. I really had to think about this. I don't know any. I didn't know any three, four, or five-year-olds that I that I'm remembering in the late '90s. That age of kid was completely off my radar, so it might have been helpful to know if at least they responded to Jar Jar in such a such a way where that would make the character at least somewhat successful. But you know, it, it just it was really misguided to me to put in this character into the film and and give him, you know an actual part of a chunk of the story when it was really the opposite of what we wanted to see. I was really, you know, it's also really important to say here, Kyle, and this, this is, this, I don't know if you want to go here yet, but this, this might set off the conversation in another direction, but it's everything you already heard. It was, there was just way too much of an emphasis on let's show all the magic tricks that we're capable of. Look how good we are at visual effects and CG animation and compositing and 3D and look how far ahead we are of everybody. And what ends up getting sacrificed is the story, the writing, and the characters. It, I'm, I'm telling you right now, you can't concentrate on all those things because 
the CG and the visual effects is such a time time consuming and money consuming thing that you cannot one thing is going to get it, things are going to get sacrificed if that's all you're paying attention to and they paid way too much attention to that aspect of this film and let all the other aspects of that what of what make a good film i would argue what make a good film they let those things suffer and they let those things hang in the wind and that really was the problem and what's so ironic about that to me dig is George Lucas said over and over again, both contemporary to the movie and, and since, that the emphasis on CGI and on computer graphics and and all of this and green screens and all of this, and especially the increasing emphasis as you get to episode two and especially episode three, would allow him to focus on all of the other things. But that makes no sense, right? Because you hire great artistic minds to solve these problems for you. And by the way, Absolutely. with well a $115 million budget, you could have gotten the finest practical effects done that would have held up a lot better than this stuff too. Jar Jar is interesting and Ahmad Best is interesting in his performance because that was actually one of the very earliest motion, motion captured embedded performances ever. And that, that's something that we take it for granted for or granted now in gaming, which by the way, it didn't even really start working its way into gaming until like, you know, per, on a permanent basis until less than 10 years ago. So yeah, this was something that I was gonna say 10 years. now that's very common, right? Like every big Sony AAA game is totally motion captured and that's why they 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 look so good. But back in 1999 and especially when they were filming this 96, 97, this was pretty unheard of. And I think you're right that ILM specifically, which is Industrial Lights and Magic for people that don't know, which is George Lucas's special effects company is or was is something that they just felt like they needed to do this. But it's so weird because ILM wasn't founded to do this stuff. They were founded industrial lights and magic. It was founded to make practical effects. Right. That's what they did. They right. did do composite. The, the planets aren't real, obviously, in like Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. Sure, of course. But when they went to Hoth, that was filmed in the Arctic. It wasn't filmed in front of a green screen. When they when they filmed in Endor, they were in Northern California. Right. Right. They were in the woods. Now, now clearly they have some of that. They did go to Tunisia of for the Tatooine scenes. They were in the woods for some of the Naboo scenes. But what's funny to me about Jar Jar as well, Dagan, is and I brought this up just a, a little while ago in terms of the Gungans, is that none of them act like him. So they're not e Jar Jar turns the viewer away or at least turns me away from the potential of this entire race that we've never been exposed to before. Some of them are actually pretty cool. You see some of them in the city. They're heavily armored. They when they fight the battle droids towards the end of the of the movie on the surface, they're like pretty badass. Actually, they're like destroying these things. They're fighting. They have these cool plasma shields and these big elephant like creatures that are like they have like these these uh, they're slinging these blue orbs towards right. the enemy. And, and they, they clearly are a, a warrior race. Right. And was so like you kind of get why this guy was cast out, but it didn't need to be so dramatized. And. I understand comedic effect. This is an alien, right? You have right. you, you have some. It's not like Waylon Utani or whatever, or you know, all this this mega evil company. It's not. It's not That's like that, right? Different. No, yeah. But the comic relief in the original prequel or in the original trilogy, rather, came through R two and three PO primarily, and they were funny because they were like a, a couple that was quarreling constantly and you didn't even really know what R2 was saying. Was 3PO, you would know right. because 3PO would say something to him and, and there's funny stuff. His in, reactions. And the reactions are funny. Like 3PO is always a... See, I like 3PO. 
I like R2 more, but I like 3PO because he's reluctant and he is one of those necessary characters in all storytelling that's kind of like the guy that's trying to hold everyone back. The voice of reason. Right, exactly. The voice of what he thinks is the voice of reason. But there's yeah. but Anthony Daniels has so many funny lines in the movie that were written, some some of them written by George Lucas later by uh, Kirshner and all these other guys, but where he's like, well, I don't like you either. You know, like, like stuff <laughs> like stuff like that. Like it's really... There are really funny things in the movie and Jar Jar just never once captures that. There was never a time where I'm like, oh, that's funny, Jar Jar. Never. Because to your point, I have no idea what he's even saying half the time. I have no idea. It it reminds me a lot of what Christopher Nolan would say about the original cut of The Dark Knight Rises with Bane where where no one can understand him. And everyone's like, well, and Christopher Nolan would be like, it doesn't really matter what he's saying. Right. But Christopher Nolan was wrong there. And Christopher Nolan was so wrong. Christopher Nolan, much more talented than George Lucas in my mind, obviously, was willing to swallow his pride and do it again to right. make to make the character better. And it made right. the movie stronger. If they rolled out The Dark Knight Rises with Bane incomprehensible, people would have been like, this sucks. You know, it doesn't make any sense. It Absolutely. doesn't it doesn't capture the gravity of and, and, and they actually captured something special in him by making him unsettling and weird and totally understandable. So that's what's frustrating to me about Jar Jar is that he, there needed to be a character in that place. It's just a matter of who he was and what his purpose was. And the idea of this guy being outcast and and all this. He's a coward, actually. Jar Jar's not a likable character at all. He's he's no. totally a he's a bitch on the battlefield. No, you know, no, no, not trying to be vulgar about it, but like all of the things that happen to him on the battlefield are fortuitous. And in fact, he and Tarples get captured because of him. It's a good point. You know, so yeah, that's a good point. There, like Tarples is trying to get him off the battlefield and he won't even jump off of the 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 tank or whatever, the, the battle droid tank. So you see this really great race of people holding their own and fighting this overwhelming force and they and there's something special about him. You want to know more about them, but then you don't because that's clearly going to require Jar Jar Binks interfacing with these characters and no one wants to see that. No. I would have rather see Boss Nass a little bit more in Tarples. Maybe even Captain Tarples might have even been the character. Maybe, maybe he could have been someone that's like, that was uh, that did something terrible on the battlefield once or or let everyone down and he went on some sort of mystical quest to clear his mind and regain his name and, and he regains his name by introducing the Jedi to this race and helping the planet come together. Like I just rewrote it. Yeah. In a much more clever way than it was done. You in two did, seconds. You did. you did. You know, as it is in the film, he's just a nuisance. He's annoying. He's a pest. And they're really, like you said, there's no appealing qualities. There's no redeeming qualities for that character. Listen, there's comedy and there's levity. And then there's just too silly and too oversaturated. And I think Jar Jar is very emblematic of the larger picture in this film when referring to the use of CG, the overuse of CG. There's no restraint. There's absolutely no restraint. It's actually really unprofessional to... To just show off your tricks at the, you know, you know, and let the other thing and let the other aspects of the film suffer. You know, when you're jeopardizing the film itself just to show off how good you are. That is the opposite. You know, the people at Pixar would tell you that is like that's cardinal sin number one in filmmaking. A lot of the, you know, and look at look at a place like Pixar. okay, and they're actually affiliated with Lucas, you know, in as far as these films now go, because they're all under Disney's umbrella. Right. But Pixar is so successful at what they do because the technology isn't treated as the end all be all. It's treated as a tool to be able to do what they want to do and tell the stories they want to tell. It's not seen as they don't say we want to do monsters. We, you know, what do we want to do next? We want to show 
we want to show really dynamic fur. Okay, let's make something about furry things. Let's make something about monsters because we really want to show off what we could do with fur. They have an idea for Monsters, Inc., and then they say, look, some of these monsters have to be furry. And then they put their tech geniuses to work to create, you know, cinematic fur, realistic fur, so they could tell this story. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Cart before the horse. Exactly. There's no restraint shown with this character. It's obnoxious. And I think a really, I think a really big part of it was that we. This is not what we wanted to see. We waited 15 years for this, and we wanted to get to the meat. It takes. It takes. I don't think Anakin comes too late into the movie necessarily, but it would have been fine to get to Anakin a little sooner. You know what I mean? That's what we're waiting for. You know what I mean? I I think the first 10 minutes with Qui Gon and an Obi Wan is great, but get to you know get to the kid. We want to see this. And, you know, we have to talk about the other, you know, we'll talk about the other inherent sin in this movie, which I think is the casting. It's not good, you know. And just before I forget to say, Kyle, it's not, it's, some of it is not good, I should say. Listen, I know George Lucas isn't good on a soundstage. I know he's not good with actors and actresses. Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill talk about it all the time. And Harrison Ford and everybody, and David Prowse and Anthony Daniels and everybody else who had to deal with him, Okay. He's not, this is not what he's good at. It, this dates all the way back to the seventies guys. It maybe it takes, now listen, I'm not an actor. Maybe it takes a special kind of actor. Maybe it takes a Mark Hamill or a Harrison Ford or a Carrie Fisher or a Liam Neeson or Ewan McGregor to work around all the impediments that a director like George Lucas sets in front of you. But you have to hire, then you have to hire those actors like they did with the first trilogy of movies. You understand the, those actors that I just mentioned were able to surmount those obstacles and give a good performance regardless. And there's actors and actresses capable of doing that. And Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman, I love Natalie Portman. I mean, this is Long Island's own Natalie Portman. Not only is she beautiful, but she's a, she's extremely intelligent and she's a great actress. Yeah, she went to Harvard, I think, or Columbia or something like that, Yeah, right? yeah. she's Ivy League graduate, you know, Ivy League kid she's she's absolutely gorgeous she's super talented she's super committed i know she's very philanthropic i love everything about natalie portman don't get me wrong i'm a fan yeah and and like you said the long island connection only increases oh it only increases her luster as far as i'm concerned but listen not my lust for her right but just a little bit lust for her but she just didn't have the tools to do this she doesn't have the tools to you know to act against a blue screen or act against a box in place of what's later going to be a CG character. You know what I mean? That's, she just doesn't have the, she didn't have the tools to do that. They cast and directors should have known that, you know what I mean? They, they, they test these actors and actresses with each other on soundstage. They do tests, they do screen tests. There's no, there was no reason to hire a Jake Lloyd or a Hayden Christensen or a Natalie Portman. It is just bad casting. Yeah, it's weird too that, especially with the gravitas of this project, even in, you know, Ahmad Best talks a lot about it, about how he was brought in for multiple tests and didn't even really know what he was being asked to do because it was so secret. And that, yeah, right, that makes right, sense, right. right? Like George Lucas writes this in, I think, 1993, 1994, and it's done in November of 1994, and then it enters pre-pro in 94, 95. And they took four and a half years to make this thing, right? That's a huge amount of time That's to make a, a movie. Of, it, a it's lot. an absurd amount of time. In fact, I would argue it's too much time because it gives you too much time to marinate and second and third and fourth guess everything you're doing, which was probably another major problem. I think that that's probably twice as long as they even needed to really that's make this movie. That's a great point, Kyle. Right? And, and, and the only reason, by the way, they needed so much time is because it wasn't planned in pre-production well enough to use practical effects. And if they really did something like that, yeah. like there's a great video uh, from the making of the movie 
where they have the storyboards in 1995 laid out on this bulletin board and they're all proud of it and they've they've taken George's script and they're like this is what it's going to look like and this is what we're going to do and then George takes two a yellow and a pink oh, highlighter Oh I watched this I right? totally watched yeah. And you could just watch some of the guys' faces in the shot like that have worked on this stuff. He's like, everything, that, it's like something like everything that's yellow is going to be real. Everything that's pink is going to be CG. And he's just taking the pink marker and writing all over. And there's a shot of this guy being like, like with his like, mouth agape. Because they Every realize. Every panel has this, the, what is the the CG color? Pink? And the yeah, I think, I think it's yellow, yeah. whatever it is. Right, yeah, it's like whatever, or it could be the inverse, whatever it is. And it's, it's just so funny, the little moments that they've unintentionally captured that show that from the very beginning, George Lucas wielded such a power and had such gravity that he they no one even Rick McCallum couldn't say no to this guy. And it's it's really strange because with just a little bit more forethought and a little bit more just time spent before they started producing the movie. Yeah, they could have gotten the best of the best involved in making like just put out some bids and make people. You look at Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi. Oh, look at Cloud City and Empire or, or the Hoth base or Mos Eisley Cantina. There's nothing, not even anything close to those in like even Tatooine in, in episode one doesn't feel right. It's yeah. not it's not gritty enough. It's not dirty enough. You can tell there's weird lighting things when even when they're like looking out of a door from like Watto's place or whatever. It's all fake out there. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Go build this thing. Right. And. And have actors walk by and do it in the middle of daylight so that you don't have these problems. So to me, I just think that it was it's funny when you read about how he offered or, the you know, Spielberg was offered the director director's chair for this. Yeah. And, and others. And it's just like, I wonder how this would have gone differently if one of those guys just accepted it. But I think that they were afraid to work with George Lucas. I think Spielberg, especially knowing who George is. And some of the problems they even face with each other making indie yeah. together. Uh, it didn't seem like they got along that well during that that phase. Or yeah, there that were some might have affected their friendship. A yeah, there, there's some problems there. But it makes you wonder if someone that was just a little more capable, because I think we can't forget. And we've said this in the past to all the things George Lucas has done wrong. Mm. The fact of the matter is this is his universe. He did make these characters and there's a power in that. He is a talented storyteller. Yes. It's just like. Maybe not even a storyteller. He's a he's a good idea man. Then you hand that off to someone and let them write the script. He's inspired, right? Just like they did with Empire, yeah. right? And let let him just you know these are the characters, these are the backstories. This is the way I visualize it. I mean, these are good ideas. The twin stars, a Tatooine, and and all the, all this is his idea. Skywalker and the Jedi and all this kind of stuff. But he just. I wonder if he just couldn't get someone to take the job. And so he begrudgingly did it himself because unlike a new hope, he wasn't going to direct this. And if mm. he, if he wasn't on that stage, how could have this gone differently? Yeah, right? I agree. And you know what occurs to me is really tragic. I don't know if I've ever really considered this point. It's kind of tragic in a way too, because there might've also been the notion of trust, especially if you analyze it from a making of perspective, let's say in the mid nineties from his, from George Lucas's team on this movie, they might've just been looking at it like, look, this is the guy who created and made the first three films. How can this go wrong? There might've been a little bit of that, you know, where there's like, all right, it seems a little weird right now, but this guy created star Wars empire and return of the Jedi. He created this whole universe. You know what I mean? He's the one who read the Akira Kurosawa books and said, this is going to be a samurai space opera you know, set in this, you know, in this world long time ago in a galaxy far away that, you know, we'll just trust him. There might have been a lot of that, too, where it was, you know, like, all right, this seems a little a little funny, but I guess this guy knows. Look what he he created all these this thing that we love. 
you know, which is really interesting. And you know what, Kyle, too? Think about – this This occurred to me as well at this point. Think about Star Wars. Now, that I'm talking about the first Star Wars film in the 70s. Th this was out there. I mean, you know, certainly sci-fi serials and campy B-movies and things like that and Flash Gordon and things like that that, you know, partially inspired Star Wars. They existed before. It's not like George Lucas invented science fiction or even the space opera necessarily, but various anime. We could go into the whole thing. But George Lucas came along in the United States and created this thing called Star Wars. And it's weird, man. I mean, look at it, right? It's it's space pirates and, you know, space farmers and giant Wookiees and Ewoks and robots and spaceships and bad guys with black armor on. I mean, it's it's as weird and as laser weird. swords and all. Lasers. Yeah, it's as weird as weird could possibly get. But we get our first Star Wars movie and it feels like a very authentic, believable thing because there is gravity lent by the writing, by the dialogue, the way these characters are interacting and the fact that these actors could pull off performances and make it believable. That's what grounds it. Greedo and Walrus Man with a butt mouth and the most icely cantina and an old man living in the desert and blue milk and all these other weird things are not what grounds it. What grounds it is the performances and that these characters look comfortable and they look like they're really a moisture farmer and they look like they're really a stormtrooper and they look like they're really an old wizard and they look like they're a smuggler who hangs out with this giant stuffed animal. They because the these characters' performances it lends gravity, it grounds the whole thing. That's what the Phantom Menace is missing. That is what this movie is missing. It, it, two two or three characters doing that out of a hundred is not enough. Do you understand what I mean by Definitely. that? Definitely. And it's amazing how not only do they do a lot of the characters miss the mark, right? Whether it's directing and, and we really look at a lot of the cast, even some of the minor characters. It's to your point. A lot of these characters, even Hayden Christensen, who's not in this, but even Hayden Christensen has done good movies and, and actually given good performances. He has. So the commonality is George Lucas. And and I, I agree with you there. It, it's a little strange because. He, like sometimes we, I, I always make fun of and I've long made fun of the character of Rick Ollie. I think that character is just fucking horrible. <laughs> you guys describe who he is. For he's everybody. the he's the yellow coated pilot of the starship that when they go to Tatooine, then they leave Tatooine. And he's like, I guess I don't know if he's Amidala's personal pilot or whoever he is. Right. Yeah, That's what it seems like. But he I, actually we were joking around because I literally started delivering his lines to you last night way better than he delivers his <laughs> so own lines. God, right? I was like, look, I'm going to do better than him right now. Right. And it's like. Like he's the shield generators are down. That's literally a better. That was actually like the shield generators are down. <laughs> and and like, that's the best. So like, even like, I'm like, was anyone paying attention to any of this? That's the best take you got out of this guy. You got to get actors that get it. And so you got to get, it goes down it. to the most granular characters with the, uh, to your point with just the rare exception of, I think Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, and then Darth Maul, who's Ray Park and he's yeah. not even voiced by... And Ian by McDermott. And Ian McDermott, of course. We'll he's, talk. He's, a, he's brilliant. So I want to talk about Jake Lloyd because Jake Lloyd plays Anakin, young Yippee! Anakin. Yippee! <laughs> and, you know, I feel... That, 
I feel bad for him the way I feel bad for Ahmad Best. If anything, I feel worse for him because he's pretty openly stated that he retired from acting because of how badly people treated him for this performance. That's bullshit. It's not his fault. He right. should have never been cast. Right, exactly. And it's funny because I was reading an uh, interview with Rick McCallum before it even came out where he's like, he's talented and he's got a lot of warmth and he's got a lot, you know, he's he's into nerdy things just like we need him to be. And I'm like, I don't see any of that in the movie. Now, you made a great point when I said this last night, Dick, and I was like, I don't know that child act like any child actor could have done this right. And then you just started rattling off a list of child actors yeah. that were Go watch real, a sixth sense. Yeah. Like that are just amazing child I mean, actors like, or Dakota Dakota Fanning. Dakota you know, Fanning is just a there's, genius. There's plenty of or even like like Joseph Gordon-Levitt when he was a kid and stuff on yeah. Third Rock in the Sun. Like, he's a great actor yeah, back then. Yeah, great point. That's so, a good one. Or Macaulay Culkin. Or like, you know, he was he great. Was, I think he was awesome. Yeah, he's great in Home Alone. He's great in The, the, the Good Son and all those kinds of things. Yeah. He's about Jake Lloyd's age in those movies. Right. So you made a great point and totally shut me down in, in that moment because you're right. It's like, I feel bad for, for him because he apparently, well, first of all, he went to jail for like a year for like, Dri- right? Yeah, like in like 2010 or 2011 for driving under the influence and stuff. Oh, he went sucks. he went to a mental hospital and was diagnosed with schizophrenia and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of that, apparently a lot of his mental anguish comes from his experience with this movie. And that's really sad that because sucks. because to your point, he was put in a position not to be able to succeed. He wasn't talented enough to be in this movie. There could have been a million like even what's the kid in Sixth Sense? His name, uh, ha- Haley, Haley Joe Osmond. Osmond. Yeah, he could have done this part probably oh, like was, a million times better that, than the- that guy. I mean, I know he later came on to be not be so hot, but he was he was a genius at that age. Right. And so to me, I, I agree with you. It's, it's very sad. And the, and the same thing with Ahmed Best. It's not these guys fault themselves that they, you know, if they came to me and were like, you're going to play Anakin Skywalker, I'm like, all right, that'd be awesome. That's like a dream come true. Imagine being Jake Lloyd and being like, you're going to be Darth Vader. You're going to play Anakin Skywalker. Of course you take that role. Of course. But the 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 gravity and the power of this movie means that with just a little bit, of, you know, you're going to come in and, and we're making a new Star Wars movie. You're going to come try out and, and read some lines for this. You could have gotten anybody to do that. Literally anyone. People would have literally signed out of movies that they already signed on to. Oh they would God. have left money on the table. A lot of people probably would have done it for free. And with Samuel L. Jackson in the movie as Mace Windu, who we, we laugh a lot about, he's actually one of the better actors in the movie too, obviously. Royale with Chi. <laughs> <laughs> we were losing our minds so badly. We were at the last, a little bit last night. And probably, what, what would you say? Last Kyle, third last or last third, fourth, yeah. maybe, yeah, where yeah, we were yeah. just starting to just crack ourselves up watching. And you will know my name is the law. <laughs> When we, I lay my vengeance upon. We, we kept putting uh, Pulp Fiction lines into uh, into like when the Jedi Council was meeting. Like they would show like Hiati Mundi or whatever. Then they'd cut back to Mace Windu and we'd just say some some fucking line. We were cra- We were delusional. We were, or we del- were delirious. It was late. We were cracking ourselves up. But that's the thing that frustrates you too. This isn't some little indie movie where like take a rider on me, man. We don't know what we're going to do. It's like just put the call out and you're going to get all sorts of great talent. And apparently like to your point with uh, Natalie Portman and Amidala, apparently 200 people read for that Two 200 people read for that part. And they settled on Natalie Long Island's on Natalie Portman. Again, we love Natalie Portman, but that's just beautiful, but it has to go beyond that. Right. It's, it's just totally beyond. There's lots of beautiful women in the world. She wasn't good for this part. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? So that's the point I'm trying to make is that, Again, how deliberate was this really? Like, how deliberate was it to find just the right person? The Billy D. Williams for Orlando, right? The oh, the Harrison Ford cast. for Han Solo. Cast. Just just everything about it, right? Every character, the Ian McDermott for the Emperor, the the even you know, even the the David Prowse isn't doing the voice of Vader, but even his movements and the way he skulks around and his presence, like He's great. 
there's a lot to love about a lot of the casting. And even when Mark Hamill wasn't that strong in the original one, you could see him get better and you yeah. could see you could see him adapt and, and learn. Right. Yeah. And they yeah. all got better. I think in Jedi, they're all like totally going at, you know, at perfect light. Peter speed. Cushing. Right. Right. I mean, for Grand Moff Tarkin. I mean, <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me with some of the, I mean, come on. I mean, he was, George, he was born for that part. George Lucas convinced not only Peter Cushing, but also Alec Guinness, Alec Guinness. who were famous stage actors yeah. to come do this fucking zany ass movie and you're telling me that they couldn't convince people they couldn't convince the greatest actors in the world it's to come do point. this it's a great point I man. understand he's all about the anonymous man he doesn't want to inject people into the movies but then don't put fucking Samuel L. Jackson in that's it. a whole we have to get to that right because so, oh, who, who asked there, to be into the movie there's no reason for him to be in this no so it's like if you want to be if you want to do the anonymous thing just like you did with Harrison Ford and just like you did with all these characters that's cool but even then there's a lot of talent out there that you could have used. And even then you're full of shit, just like the quote about 12 year olds and just about the, the movie being for kids because Samuel L. Jackson's in the movie, who's the one of the, who at the time was one of the most famous actors in the world. Right. So fresh off of one of the most iconic performances in Pulp Fiction and, and all of these other things. It's he's like it's wonderful. It, the point is, is that he's recognizable. He takes he, you immediately out of the movie. He's right? a movie star. He's not a character actor. Now you could now I don't want to sound like. I don't want to sound hypocritical because Peter Cushing, Peter Cushing was famous for the old Hammer horror movies and Alec Guinness was obviously famous in his own right. But you know what? Those guys did the role and they didn't poo poo it and they didn't treat it like, well, I'm going to do it. You know they I mean? They took it seriously and they lended gravity to those roles and it worked. Samuel Jackson is just too... He he there, but you could argue that Alec Guinness, first of all, and Peter Cushing are character actors. Peter Cushing are character actors. They they are able to immerse themselves in a role. Samuel Jackson is a movie star. That's different. And I'm not saying you that, that movie stars aren't good. You could look at somebody like Michael Caine or Diane Keaton or all the famous wonderful actors and actresses that could you know Robert De Niro, Mel Gibson with about. his eye dart, Mel Gibson with his famous eye dart. But <laughs> Samuel Jackson is you know. <laughs> You know him from all the Quentin. I mean, Hateful Eight, Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction. He he's a very strong presence. It's hard to describe. Maybe I'm not doing it justice, but he's a very strong presence. He's a movie star. You know what I mean? He's not. He's. I mean, and listen, Sam Jackson. I could have overlooked Sam Jackson, but Kyle, I have to ask you about. Let's go back to Jake Lloyd yeah. and and Annie, young Anakin. What would you have liked to see? in that character, in that casting, in that portrayal? What would you have liked to see in that? I think that, see, it's funny. You had mentioned earlier that maybe we would have gotten to him a beat earlier. What I wonder if what would have saved this movie is if he was in it a lot less, mm. you know, mm -hmm. that I like that point. the movie really was about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan finding him and figuring out what they were going to do with him. I like, this you know, a lot. I like that a lot. And that I think that if they just didn't overexpose him, because there actually are some lines I, I was again, to be honest, to be fair to the movie, I was there were times where I was like, that wasn't bad. Like the way he the way he delivered that yeah. line, his yeah. interaction with whatever. Yeah, he has some really great interactions he in does. the movie. He it's does. not like every line's badly delivered. Good so point. if they just didn't oh, if they just if he was in it like as fourth as much. Right. Yeah. So going the exact opposite direction you suggested and just saying like it's not really about him yet. It's he, here he is when he's a kid and we're going to talk to him a little bit. We're going to find him. He's a slave. There's going to be a pod race or something. They bet on it. All that's fine. I right. Love that idea, though, of having a payoff at the end where they do find him. Right. Maybe. Where they finally maybe at the very end actually interact with him for the first time. Maybe they're betting on him 
and betting on this and and manipulating the the chance die and all that kind of stuff without him ever knowing. Dude, that's a that's a that's a fantastic idea. And then maybe the last couple of scenes or the last scene are them like meeting him, I like right? This. And that being I like, like a lot. and we're bringing to Coruscant and you are gifted in the force and we've been watching you and we want to take you with us and we can't for your mom, you know, and we've put, we've bet our ship on you and we've won and we want you to come with us. Right. And, and that's really all you get of little Annie. And that's it. And then the movie fast forwards to the Hayden Christensen, you know, era, which would have underexposed him and actually allowed us to focus most on the characters that were most vital. Yeah. You could have gotten Darth Maul much more involved in episode one that way by being much more of a foil. Maybe, maybe Ian McDermott and Ray Park are also chasing Anakin. Maybe they're also trying to get to him in some clever way. I like every idea. Maybe they already know. They feel there's a disturbance in the force. Maybe the council in the beginning tells Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan something's going on on Tatooine. And we, 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 I had a vision I, I we felt that there's a disturbance. Go check this out. Cut out the Trade Federation entirely. Yeah. Go to Tatooine. That story is irrelevant anyway. Go to Tatooine and look for this kid. Yeah. And at the same time, there's some sort of political intrigue on Coruscant. You know, uh, Palpatine tells Darth Maul, his his Sith apprentice, something's going on in Tatooine. Maybe you see a scene where Obi-Wan, or I'm sorry, where Yoda and where Ian McDermott or Palpatine both have parallel visions and they both realize at the same time, get to Tatooine. Yeah. And it's a chase. I like to that. get to this kid. I think that's I think that's fantastic. But because he's a slave and because they don't want to draw attention to themselves and they don't want to draw attention to the fact that this kid is special, that and then, it, it, you know, raising Watto's interest in the kid or whoever, or, you know, Jawa the Hutt, you know, if you wanted to get him involved in yeah. some way, yeah, yeah. you don't want to raise any of their suspicions. So it's about how they're trying to figure out how to get to this kid. It's great. Right. I mean, that's really, really a nice solution. And so that you don't so that it be, doesn't become Jake Lloyd's problem and that you can use him a quarter as much and have him really deliver some solid lines. And he's not in a starfighter fighting in the end. It doesn't make any sense. Right? right. Like, but that he's like this really talented, like he's the only human that can pod race. But maybe Qui-Gon goes to Obi-Wan. That's strange because it, isn't it true that pot, you know, some exposition, isn't it true that humans aren't quick enough to pod race? Right. And. You know, maybe they're in the the council and maybe some of these guys, maybe it is Mace Windu or someone says like, that's the point. Go get him. Right, right, right. Right. And well done. And that could have been what it's about. And then that that's could have segued and then it could have just fast forwarded a little bit in episode two to Hayden Christensen. To Hayden Christensen. Yeah, older teen. Because then you also avoid what I and I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to be facetious here. You kind of also remove the creepiness of. Of frankly, Natalie Portman and Jake Lloyd having this weird, weird embryonic romance, which they do in this movie. Yeah. And it's fucking weird. Yeah. So you could have also removed that whole element. What are the ages? I don't know. I mean, I would assume eight or nine or ten, something like in that range. Yeah. And in her early 20s, something like late teens. Could be. It could be. Yeah. I mean, at least upper teens. Right. Right. Like, yeah, let's assume there's a 10 year age difference. Well, that's not a big deal when you're in your 30s and 40s. That's a pretty big deal when you're robbing the cradle as a teenager. Right. So I I feel like they could have just worked away and that way it could have strengthened. They didn't have to kill Qui-Gon in this movie. They didn't have to kill Darth Maul in this movie. They could have kept everyone alive. There could have been no death consequence in this movie, and it could have just got the ball rolling and made episode two this really dark thing where maybe they just get him out of Tatooine under Maul's nose and they leave it in a very similar way to how Boba Fett is secretly chasing, 
you know, Han yeah. towards Bespin in Empire, they could have had a similar kind of feel where Maul, Maul reaches back out to the Emperor and is like, listen, this guy got away. And what do we do now? Right. And and maybe they're just like, maybe he's like, come back to Coruscant. We got to bide our time. It's too like he's with the Jedi Council. And now we have to figure out something else. Right. And ultimately, what I've always said is that it really should have culminated in episode three with Maul and Anakin fighting. That's what would have made much more sense because it could have been something as simple as Palpatine being like, uh, one of you is going to be my apprentice fight. Right. That would have been an amazing end. Yeah. Very good. Very inspired, man. From A to Z. I really right? like it. I mean, there's a lot of problems that we have to talk about and explore with Darth Maul being introduced and dying so quickly. There's just it, it was just completely unnecessary to do that. And you had brought up the, that Snoke and the new ones is very similar where it's they like made well, the same mistake. It's And now Snoke is not nearly as interesting as Darth Maul. And no. I still have no idea, by the way, and I'm not trying to be even joking around about this, I have no idea what episode nine is even supposed to be about. I don't even know. I have literally no idea what I even care about. Do they? From let eight. me ask you a question about yeah. a prediction of yours for episode nine. Do they retcon the Snoke thing or they, do they just let that no, end being ridiculous? I don't think they can unless Snoke, unless that wasn't really Snoke or was some sort of projections, force projection or something like that. But it seemed like that seems like so cheesy, though. Yeah, and it's stupid. And it just it just I really don't even understand what the stakes are. Right. And. It's a similar thing with episode one where it's like, well, this is also Spielbergian in how bowed it is at the end, even with the New Hope style award ceremony at the end and new, you know, or uh, Boss Nass and all that kind of stuff where I look at it and I, I just I wonder if it's just that they didn't emphasize that all the characters are right, that all of the casting might even be right. right. But they, they just exposed the wrong characters for the wrong amount of time and that this movie really really, really should have hinged on Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, I like it. And, and this chase. And this chase. Yeah, and the Emperor. Yeah, and this yeah. just this chase to get this boy. Yeah. That would have been so much more exciting than this really drawn out, corny, bad lines delivered, over CG, whatever it whatever, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Anakin makes 3PO. Oh, like, that's just like R2 is in this for some it's reason. Too much. It's too it, much. It, it, it makes that's also the beginning of what one of my major complaints about Star Wars is how small it, be, it, it becomes in this galaxy, presumably with literally trillions of beings, not it even takes billions right out of the story that it's just it all becomes this is when it also becomes so small. So I would have loved to see Jake Lloyd just not had not have been as exposed. And then maybe even episode two, it has him in it, too. And maybe we allow him to get a little older. Yeah. Maybe he gets a little more experienced. And then you start. A third to, actor inserted in the middle or just let him be Jake No, Lloyd like let it just be Jake Lloyd. And maybe okay. maybe you, you know, he's going to be a little bit old. Maybe he's 12 or 13 now. And then maybe by the time you get to episode three, then maybe you're accelerating to his late teens. And maybe he becomes Vader as soon as when he's like 17, 18, 19 years that old. That would have been cool. You know? That would have been really cool. Because if you let that happen naturally, then it. Could have been possible that the same actor might have even played him all the way through. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that that's the right thing because you would have had to start older at the at the beginning. Right. But well, you would, it depends. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to make a 15 year old become Darth Vader, it could be all the more tragic. I mean, that's a very that's a very, you know, polarizing thing to say. That's controversial. But I'm just saying, you know what I mean? That's a that was certainly an alternative to let the, the character age naturally. I like that point. So I don't know. I, I just. I just feel like it's a shame because I don't know. I think that a lot of it is just a timing issue with with people's screen time and the way they waste. They're not economical with the way that they tell the story. It's it's too drawn out. It, it 
it doesn't go anywhere really that interesting. And no. the whole Trade Federation thing, it's just a weird way to put em- the emperor in, in power. But yes. why? That's why did you have to? Thing. Why would you? Be, and I like how it's a whole. I think that actually L- Lucas would talk about Nixon in regard to Palpatine and how. Nixon famously wanted to get rid of the second 22nd Amendment so he could run again. He would often talk about that. Right. Which was only put into place after FDR. So it wasn't it was only 20 years apart. Right. But his point was that like this guy was kind of a tyrant. And so wouldn't it have been interesting if Palpatine did what we always had assumed and just took power? Right. It's it's much less interesting that he backed weasels his way in and then grows. So it goes to the point that. Lucas makes these ideas, but doesn't understand how to execute on them. And I really I'm not even trying to be funny. Yeah, I just executed on the ideas in 15 minutes. No, a lot better that than was excellent. Kyle. That was really inspired. I'm impressed, actually. You know what? I, I love I love the idea of seeing less of young Annie of young Anakin. But what I really personally always wanted to see in that character was a little bit of darkness underneath that. I wanted to see a layer of darkness underneath that initial exterior. I wanted to see that come out somehow. I mean, I don't know if we if it would have been right to like see any torturing womp rats or robots or something right. but like you know but i wanted to see a layer of darkness in there that suggested that this character this could go south that the jedi are actively trying to recruit this character and this guy and yoda this kid and yoda is actually cautioning them and kind of sees it but maybe he's the only one with the wisdom to see that even even the wise the great and wise qui-gon can't see it but to, to for the audience to actually see that shade of darkness underneath whether it's a gla- whether it's a scowl or something in his eyes or something. Now that Jake Lloyd does scowl a lot. I don't know if you notice that. Even on scenes where he's not supposed to be angry, he has this angry like ledge to his brow. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it was supposed to be like a befuddlement, but it didn't come off that no, way. No, right? it just came off as like, all right, he's kind of doing what I want to see, but it's weird because he's not doing it on purpose. Like you could tell it's just bad acting. Right. But I always wanted to see that in the character. I always, you know. The, the the fall of Anakin Skywalker is a tragic story. It's a tragedy. It's one of the most well-known tragedies in pop culture. And this movie was supposed to show the beginnings of that. We were supposed to see Anakin in his purest state before the fall and see the seeds of what happens to this character. And it just doesn't... I always say this. I think, that, I think episode one could have been the best movie in the entire not over the entire nine movies this movie had the potential to be the best one because we see the very beginning of the story that centers around darth vader and we get to see darth vader we know how evil darth vader is i mean he's a bad man and we already know that so to see him as a kid and as a son and as an innocent before he falls it just this has so much potential i love the emotion of that and I love the idea, Dave, that you injected here of, of, of a grayness. Like, what if what if he cheated in the pod race? What if he kills Sebulba by sabotaging his pod race? Yeah. Or like, what if you see what if he uses the force and doesn't even realize or because he is using the force. They say that he sees things before they happen. That's why he's able to pod race with these these races and these creatures that are just much quicker and much more, you know, uh, fluid and, and have that kind of stamina and whatever dexterity. And like, what if he it, but what if he like force pushes during the race just like really subtly realizing that he could do that and what if Sebulba's like pod racer goes like just and explodes right right and maybe that's a little dark for Star Wars but is it but and, he realizes that those powers could bring him success and right the temptation involved with that and, right immediately you start seeing him 
you know, maybe Shmi, his his mom talks about that she's a little nervous about him or something and that she sees that she, there is this push and pull inside of him because I understand what George was trying to do by saying like this was a good kid and he was corrupted. Yeah. But why? Like, where did it come from? Now, we see it because of the influence of the emperor, but that's not good enough. Like, right. there, there has to be something in, born in him, just like there's something in Obi-Wan that makes him inherently want to be good. There's probably something in Vader or Anakin that makes him want to be inherently bad. So why wouldn't we see a little bit of that? Right. In, in I mean, a, in later on, one. you see what he's angry. He's a slave. His mother's enslaved. His mother is his mother is killed and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's revenge. And, and then he goes crazy on the Tuscan Raiders his, and stuff right, like that. That right. awakens a little bit of his darkness. So we see that later, but I know what you're saying. Why not plant those seeds earlier? I mean, it's good. It's good to show Annie in his innocent state, but in, in any event, and those are all awesome ideas, Kyle, but in any event, the emotion is completely sacrificed. There is none. There is no emotion in this movie. It's very cold. It's very, very robotic and it's, you know, no pun intended. And it's, you know, it's just it's just very stone faced. The whole thing. It's just this movie could have been packed with emotion. I like the emotion. That's what I like. I like the drama. I like not melodrama, but I like the drama between characters and the conflict and the emotion. That's what grounds these stories. To me, that's just as cool as an X-Wing or a Jabba or a Ewok village. Yeah, or think whatever, about speeder bike, whatever it is. Think about Hamill or think about Luke and Vader at the end of Jedi, right? Oh, like that's such an emotional moment. So good. It's like you didn't really know if it was going to go there or not. You didn't you don't know if when Vader turns on the Emperor, you don't really know what's going to happen. And when he takes his helmet off and he's dying and all that kind of stuff, it's incredibly emotional and He's it, redeemed. He becomes a good guy in the last 10 minutes of his life. Right. And that's w- good writing. It's great writing. Or think about Chewbacca letting out that scream and and the when Han goes into Carbonite. Right. And right. Takes, and Leia is like comes into his chest or whatever. And right. 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 And, and he like kind of like he she's like horrified. There's so much. There's more emotion in that one shot in Cloud City than there is in all of episode one. And so I, I'm, I'm with you or even. Even the coldness of Uncle Owen, there's some emotion because he he's afraid to tell Luke what he really knows about his dad. There's a reluctance. There's a and how Amperu is kind of trying to goad it out of him a little bit. And so there's even an emotion there. The acting is right on right on par there. You know, so you're right. All of it's lost. It's there's none of that in this movie or any of the prequel trilogy. But there's really none of that. There's it's completely sacrificed. I mean, I really feel like it's sacrificed for CG and for effects, and that's just such a mistake. And it's just it's so weird to lose your way the way George Lucas lost seemingly lost his way with these movies. You know, I don't know. I can't speak to you know. I think there's a notion we've probably discussed this before, Kyle. The idea of not being hungry anymore. You know what I mean? George Lucas was hungry when he was making Star the first Star Wars film in the seventies. He was. He was a young filmmaker starting to get a modicum of success, but certainly didn't make a blockbuster yet. And THQ and um, what's the car movie? Oh, no, THX and THX and uh, And American Graffiti, American Graffiti. But he was on his way and he was already affiliated with Spielberg, Francis Ford. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. You know, all that stuff. But they they were they were already, you know, fast, fast friends and everything like that. But he hadn't gotten he was still on the up and up. And he was hungry and he was hungry to prove himself. And when you become a millionaire, when you become a billionaire and you're, you know, somebody who's, you know, basically a luminary, you know, a a superstar in his field, 
you know, maybe there is something to losing losing your way and not being hungry anymore. I, I always think there's something, maybe a little something to that. I agree. You Be- know, it, it goes to show you too, like where was, uh, listen, get your paper, right? I'm all about everyone getting their paper. But even with him selling Star Wars for four billion dollars was weird to me just because I was like, what do you need more money for? Like that. He's the last one that needs money. Yeah, that was what was so weird for me. Like, even if you just literally put this in a vault and refuse to ever do anything with it again. Yeah. Why would you sell it? It's unbelievable. That's a little weird. And and I expect that him like, you know, he like Bill Gates and others, Paul Allen and all their guys will probably end up giving most of his money away. I have no doubt about that. George Lucas has been very philanthropic over the last. He's very charitable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He built like a whole wing at USC and all the sorts of stuff. I think Skywalker Ranch was even purchased by him. That was I think that land was like in danger of development or something like that. So it's not George. See, this is the thing that I think we conflate or I think that is conflated in this argument. George Lucas is probably a very good man and probably me i'm sure means well but i think that the prequel experience broke him and made him come on and maybe rightfully maybe reasonably so that might break me too but it let him sour the entire experience for him he never admitted any of the mistakes he made he just kept pushing and yeah, pushing and pushing stubborn. right and very stubborn so it made so it makes us all one like assume the worst about him but uh, I think that it's important to separate that because uh, I don't assume the worst about him as a person. I just assume the worst about him as a filmmaker. But there is a weird intrigue with me with George Lucas where I would actually kind of like to see him come back and try to direct a Star Wars movie just to see what happens. Yeah. Like what happens when you don't own it anymore? What happens when Kath- you and well, when Kathleen Kennedy can tell you what to do? Right. And what happens when Disney and Marvel and Bob Iger, whoever is like, that's not going to work. We don't like that. We don't like that. We don't like that. You're kind of doing it for us now. Yeah. What then does that allow him to channel his talents into into doing something or is he just not fit for it anymore? You I know? don't think he could work in that system. I don't I don't think he cannot be the man. I really don't think I, I mean, maybe I'm misjudging him on that on that in that regard. But I don't I really don't think he could do that. I, I can't see that. I mean, he is involved with episode nine to some effect, isn't he? With J.J. Abrams. I mean, he's certainly not directing, but yeah, maybe consulting or something. like yeah, that. Yeah, something. He's doing something with Abrams, I think. And it's so nine. funny because he was famously saying that Abrams basically just ignored everything he wanted to do with episode with seven. Force Awakens. Right. Which might have been wise, might not have been. I, I'm curious. I hope one day that that whatever that was supposed to be comes out, because not to make this about episode seven, which it won't be. But that w- that movie in hindsight was so safe. I get it. I get it. And I like it. Yeah. I like episode seven. I know you do. I have no problem really with episode seven. I understand exactly what they were doing with it. They were basically saying like, there's no possible way you guys can hate this because if you do, you're complete hypocrites because it is literally beat for beat a new hope, which you all love. And so I understand is the first sentence in Force Awakens directed at the prequel trilogies. What is what is the first line? What do they say? I, I could be paraphrasing. This will begin to set things right or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The very first line in the movie. Yeah. Is that a coincidence? No. Uh, you would have to assume not, right? I mean, so, everything seems so delicious. This was the attitude about George Lucas five years ago. Right, right. Yeah. So I want to talk, Dave. There's just a couple other people I want to talk about. And then we can go through some of these minor characters. But okay. Ray Park is Darth Maul. In all of the roles that Ray Park... Ray Park's a martial artist first and an actor second. And he's never really had a big role in acting. I mean, he had he, he had some lines as Toad in X-Men. But and he played Snake oh, Eyes okay. and he played Snake Eyes in GI Joe, obviously. But he's always brought to the picture because of his dexterous abilities as a martial artist. Is he a stuntman? Would you call him that? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know if he's actually literally done stunts. Stunt double, whatever. Right, right. Call. Yeah. But Darth Maul to me is the biggest positive takeaway of this movie, and the biggest 
biggest disappointment again that they were not wise enough to keep him around i really don't understand see that's the thing i don't get it this that was the thing i didn't get about this movie and don't get about this movie at, at all is like let's say everything else stayed static let's say that it's too late to change anything you could have changed the very last minute that he doesn't die you literally could have had ray park come back to just film one more scene and instead of him getting sliced in half maybe he gets away maybe he runs away or like i said last night when he kills qui-gon maybe he just walks away right obi-wan he kicks his obi-wan's lightsaber into the the pit and he leaves obi-wan hanging there and he just walks away yeah that's right? a, that's interesting i like that and then they like he's like well this is done and and he just leaves and he and that's a big mistake and obi-wan comes back maybe and kills him or later on why do you think that they killed him because he was such a, not only an aesthetically attractive character but i feel like added such a dynamic element to the the, the sword fighting and the combat we had never seen anything like that in yeah. star wars before or since right because even when you see the, the new stuff with from episode seven and episode eight none of it holds a candle to what was going on at the end with duel of the fates playing with maul qui-gon and obi-wan it's an amazing scene it really is a great scene and one of the great scenes i think in all the movies to be perfectly fair and I just don't understand why they didn't even in post, even if that's what they wanted to do with him, they were going to be like, you know what? Like, let's not do that. That doesn't really make any sense. He's right. such a great character. Oh. Even if you were looking at it from a very greedy, how many toys can we possibly sell of this guy perspective over the many years we just keep him alive? I, I just don't understand why they got rid of him. And I'm curious what you think of that, that character no and, if, and if he resonates with you as much as he resonated with me. Well, I know how much you love Darth Maul. And I think th from a visual standpoint, I, there's, a, there's a few problems with Darth Maul dying in this film. And I'll, get, I'll, I'll talk about that. Now, if we talk about Darth Maul from a visual perspective. It's brilliant. It's everything. we it's, it's taking all the bad guys we knew in the original trilogy, including Darth Vader, and sort of taking that to the next level visually, which I'm a big fan of. You know, the horns on his head, you know, the, the, the face paint, the double-sided lightsaber. He just he's a badass. And you look you know, that fact that he wears the hood a lot, his his understated voice, which we talked about, that he's you know, he doesn't say a lot. He he's, has three lines. Which is amazing, you know, which is amazing. It's super which, cool, especially if they kept him alive because then it's like, well Yeah, and a lot of mystique. And right. I like I don't necessarily mind up to the point where he dies, his sort of arc in the movie as much as, you know, as far as how much he's in the movie and which scenes he's in. I don't really necessarily have a problem with that. But here's the thing. There's two there's two inherent problems with him dying in the movie. And it's not just that, well, we lost a badass character, because there's that too. Two other reasons. In Palpatine and Darth Sidious, we already realize what a badass this guy is, because we already know what this who this character is from the original trilogy. And this is also we we can't forget to mention, this is not only the rise of Darth Vader or the fall of Anakin Skywalker, but this is also the story of the trajectory of Emperor Palpatine and the Galactic Empire right? and the Gla and the Empire itself, you know, and we're seeing the beginnings of that. So we already know who Darth Sidious is and how badass he is. We already know Pal who Palpatine is. So you would think he would choose an apprentice who wasn't a pushover that wouldn't die in you know, in the first battle that we see him in necessarily, right? First or second battle that we see him in. The second problem with him dying is the fact that you could have set something up really cool between him and Obi-Wan, if Obi-Wan didn't have immediate satisfaction of watching him kill his mentor and then Obi-Wan immediately killing him after that. Right, you could have stretched that out. There's no drama in that whatsoever. I mean, it's immediate satisfaction. That's not how you tell a story. 
you don't have Obi, you don't get Obi-Wan closure instantly. We love Obi-Wan. We want to see him have revenge. You know, we want to see him have go up against a baddie and have revenge, but we don't want to see it instantaneously. That's just bad writing, you know? And I think, you know, now we should say, I know you don't follow, you know, the Clone Wars and all that, you know, the sort of the EU arc of the character, but they bring Darth Maul back. Darth Maul does not die here. As Which far is so as stupid. The cinematic universe. It's he so comes back. He it, has robotic legs. He, has a, he also has a brother. <laughs> the whole thing about... And he eventually... I mean, spoiler alert. I don't want to... Stop listening if you guys haven't watched all of Clone Wars and seen all the cart, the whole Cartoon Network arc. But it come, when Darth Maul comes back, his whole thing is a vendetta against Obi-Wan. He wants Obi-Wan dead. And he's not going to stop until he gets to him. And when he gets to him, you know, it's a long story, relatively long story arc. When he gets to him, Obi-Wan kills him in about two sword strokes. It's fucking brilliant. And I'm not even necessarily a huge fan of the Clone Wars cartoons. I have my inherent problems with them. That's a conversation for another day. They're not terrible. And I do love the character of Ahsoka. But otherwise, the ending, the end, the way Clone Wars ends the whole thing between Obi-Wan and Darth Maul is fucking brilliant. But the the fact of the matter is he doesn't die here. They in the Star Wars cinematic universe they actually retcon it and he's alive. And that's definitely a retcon. That definitely wasn't oh, it's a an, huge it, retcon. That definitely wasn't intended because I think that they were probably surprised by I don't know why, but they were probably surprised by like the you know the, the the how people grasped onto this character. But I'm like, why would you be surprised about that? Everyone loves Vader. Why wouldn't they love the guy who Vader took this guy's place? Why wouldn't you exactly. imagine that they didn't that's like this guy? That's very important to know too. You know, that's very important to consider, too. But, yeah, so if you think about Darth Maul from that perspective, I think those are the two inherent problems with him. It would have been really great. I like your idea of, of letting Obi-Wan hang there and walking away. You know, it could have also been a thing where Darth Maul really wants – Darth Maul kills Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon and he really wants to – he wants to murder Obi-Wan as well. But somewhere in that duel, maybe he has the upper hand and Obi-Wan's about to get killed and he gets – sort of the intel somehow that Anakin is exposed and he has an opening to go get Anakin or go kidnap Anakin or go do harm in some other way where Sidious like calls him off. So there's that. There was other ways to handle that. But there it doesn't seem like just creating him as a foil for one film is first of all, it's so easy. It's so transparent. It's just a it's just bad. It's not thoughtful. There was 30 better ways to do it. I think we realize that as kids, we realize that. I'm not even talking about as an, you know, as an adult who's able to think this through and articulate it a little better. But yeah, it's just sort of tragic. And I know a lot of people really lament that because Darth, Darth Maul's cool, but it goes beyond that. He's supposed to be, he's supposed to be someone who of power and he's supposed to, if you really wanted to set up drama, Especially if you wanted to create an, a rival for Obi Wan, you didn't have to kill him and then, you know, think about it later and have other people bring him back. You could have just left him alive. Right. It, it is the path of least resistance. And while I, I was telling you, one of my favorite shots in all of the movie is when is the shot of Vader or of Maul getting sliced in half because Ray Park actually does this really emotive face where he's like he like like his face pops almost. Yeah. And that puff of blood, like that cloud of blood, comes up. It's actually a great shot. But, it is a good shot. But. And actually, surprisingly violent shot. Yeah, but, it is violent for Star Wars. Yeah, that's the first time we oh, see it's a movie blood. For, it's a movie for kids, though. Movie for twelve year olds. Yeah, he got sliced in half, and there's a lot of blood in it. But it's a movie for kids. Is that the first time we see blood associated with a lightsaber duel? I think so. Yeah, I can't think of one. Oh no. Um, oh, the, the hand? arm in the Mos Eisley Cantina. Oh right, you're yeah. yeah oh right. yeah, when, when with Obi Wan, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, I wonder too if there's another way to do it. Would have been something like. Darth Maul was literally just thankful to have gotten out of that fight. 
having them separated and killing Qui-Gon. That's and maybe, interesting. And like, you know, that he realizes maybe he's, he's like, I, yeah, just like get the fuck it's out of here. You know, like Qui-Gon's dead. I'm just going to get the hell out of right, here. Right, right, right. And maybe he, you know how they have the, I like, because I like the whole thing about those, those purple, pink, power, whatever barriers separating them. I think it's cool. And one it's of the things I, piece. one of the things I noticed when I was watching it is kind of cool is that they all know that they're about to disappear before they do. Like they're all using the force to like, like they start running at the thing before it even disappears. Right, right, right. right. So there's a lot of cool stuff, but maybe, maybe Maul does get injured in some way in the fight and he just gets Qui-Gon while they're separated and he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm out of here. And maybe he, you know, because I love that shot of him when they first start fighting when he grabs, uses the force to grab that item and like jam the door oh, with it or whatever, so which is good. such a cool, what nice little touch, right? Great choreography. And so maybe it would have been cool for him to be like, fuck it. I'm jamming this thing so it doesn't go and I'm getting the hell out of here. And, and Obi-Wan will have to live for another day because I, I like that. And it draws up the power that we learn later on that Obi-Wan is considered one of the best Jedi swordsmen to ever live. And Darth Maul, no, eventually, in, you know, in the in the Clone Wars cartoon and the, all the Cartoon Network stuff, that's acknowledged. And Darth Maul knows that, you know. But so that's a nice way to kick that, set, kind of set that off too, Colin. You know what I love about the Duel of the Fates scene too? It's a great, it's, you know, for, as far as a kinetic action-packed set piece, it's brilliant. But it also works on another level that I realized, which is that it brings out the three characters without even using any words or any dialogue. You see... Darth Maul pacing like, you know, when those barriers go up, he's kind of like pacing like a like a vicious, like caged animal, you know, and Qui-Gon's personality comes out and that he just stoically and calmly like meditates. And Obi-Wan is like anxiously, urgently, urgently trying to get into the battle and come to Qui-Gon's aid. And you see his courage and his bravery and, you know, his sort of, um, yeah, just his, his complete like ability and his ability i would say as well so i love that's a really nice that's a little nice perk to the scene too as far as like just being amazing action i would have liked to see too this might be a little divisive thing to say and i don't know if i could really articulate this further but i would have liked to seen even this the fighting pushed even a little further somehow i mean if you're gonna do it like go all the way with it. Yeah, you know, it seems whatever, a little what short. What other powers could they have? What right. other what what else could these guys do? We see that they have this Obi-Wan falls a great deal is not hurt. He's able to jump really high. Yeah, Darth Maul lands on his back when he falls and then right. gets up and stuff. Yeah, maybe All they the could have done a pushing. Yeah, they could have done a for, maybe one of them could have choked one of the other ones or, you know, may, it would have been cool to see like Maul, you know, maybe Maul's lightsaber does get cut in half. Yeah. While they're both alive right, and, right, and right. one of them doesn't work. So maybe he's like strangling Obi-Wan while he's fending Qui-Gon off or something. There could have been a lot of different ways to handle it. Push I just it even further. I love the I just love the idea in my mind of Maul just being thankful that he got the hell out of this and yeah. that he it's just like, we'll see you later. And, right, right, and then right. maybe maybe even in episode two, he's just you only see him a little bit. Maybe he's not even really in it, you know, and you're waiting. You're waiting for this ultimate battle that never happens. Instead, it happens with Doku and then later on between Obi-Wan and Anakin. But it didn't I, I didn't it just it just seemed unnecessary. It seemed like there was actually too many characters put in. And it seemed, you know, I didn't even know this until I was reading about it. And I don't know if it's true, but I think it is. It was in The Independent, which is a reputable source that Hasbro funded this movie. Did you did you ever read anything about that? No, they were saying in The Independent, it wasn't like a, a joke or anything that Hasbro apparently funded this thing. Really? Yeah. Is and it because to, they needed more money injected in at some point? I, I think it, it said that they out of the 125 million, they paid 100 million of it. Wow, and, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And that. Oh, so it's it's easy to think that from a sarcastic point of view or from whatever that they just wanted toys out of this thing. But if that were the case, 
And if that were the case, then it's no wonder why there's a million characters in these movies. But Hasbro, who is now crowdfunding some of their toys. Yeah. Well, oh, that's another, yeah, that's another topic time. for another time. But to me, I, I just wonder if they could have just been a little more thoughtful with this. And that's the one thing that they could have fixed without having really reshot almost anything. So it really does go to show you that they just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. Now, I can understand oh, we don't like the way the pod race comes off we, and it's too expensive and we can't fix it or we don't like maybe Jake Lloyd's a little overexposed or whatever the case might be, but they could have fixed that. And yeah, they could have fixed it right up to the very end. They could literally could have fixed it in April of 1999 and, yeah. and still gotten the movie out to everyone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That wouldn't have been a difficult thing to go in and change. And what's so funny is that I think that even Disney is now, you know, Lucas acknowledged the importance of Darth Maul with the Clone Wars, which was before Disney sold, bought it. But right. They acknowledge it in Solo, too, with Maul's appearance at the end, which was I I remember we watched that in the theater together and we just looked at each other. I was shocked. I was like, what? I was shocked. I was I was I actually thought that was so interesting because I was like, oh, cool. But does it really make any sense from that perspective, too? And it, what version of Maul is this and et cetera? So are we, you know, hope we're not going to get another solo movie. It doesn't seem like, but it would have been cool to have that character in there somehow. Yeah. I, I, I still don't know if I know the purpose of it. I mean, and, and the only thing I could think of, the only thing I guess that's obvious is the, to imply that Kira, the character of Kira is, you know, somehow in bed with the Sith, somehow involved with the Sith, or maybe is a Sith herself. I don't know, but, I'll, or maybe that, or maybe that Darth Maul was, you know, sort of affiliated with the cartels or whatever. But yeah, it's that was really strange. I think that was so strange because that was, that was such a shock, and that was not spoiled for us at all. We hadn't heard of it. No, and you're a spoiler factory too. Yeah. Not 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 telling people spoilers, but you love reading them. Oh, spoiling things for myself. So yeah, yeah. So I couldn't believe that you didn't even know that. I certainly no, would have known that. That was a weird thing. And I, thankfully, people didn't ruin that. I gotta look into that more. I want to yeah. know the answer to that. What I, the hell is he doing in there? Wasn't there something? I I feel like I could be making this up, but I think that that Ron Howard wanted that in there that is like, that right i think that he was the one that kind of came up with that idea I which is know. interesting ron howard of course another guy that turned down directing episode one which is uh, right that's right i have a new respect for ron howard i think he did a good job on the solo movie he salvaged that thing apparently it was not in good shape so no which is really weird because it's the guys who directed the spider-verse movie which is brilliant and they got their just desserts in there you know and how good that movie was and how that paid off for them and now how they're doing you know they're involved in some other high profile projects with their success on that movie. But that's weird too, because it's all under Disney's umbrella ultimately in Marvel and star Wars. So that's, yeah, that whole thing was, uh, you have to assume that that might've been Lord and Miller. Is that Lord and Miller? Yeah. You, you have to assume that maybe they gave them that opportunity because it was probably embarrassing for them to be removed. Oh, I'm sure that was embarrassing. That That's a hard thing to live down for them to come back and have the success they had on something else. I really, I'm really happy for them because I don't wish that on anybody. You know, although I, apparently that their version of Solo was like a comedy, which is weird. And anyway, so yeah, that is strange. So, yeah, I, I would have loved to see just a little more thought put into it in making the galaxy feel so small. If you're going to make it feel small, then make it feel small. Let's see how these characters interact with each other for a while. You didn't need to kill Qui-Gon or Maul in this movie. You could have killed Qui-Gon in the second movie. You could have killed Maul in the third movie. Could have even gone the other way. I mean, Anakin, ultimately, Anakin could have killed Qui-Gon. It could have really gone any number of ways. Yeah. Qui-Gon could have been. Yeah, you're right about that. You know, Obi-Wan could have gone ham on Anakin because Anakin kills Qui-Gon. It could have gone any number of ways, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I don't have any problem with Qui-Gon dying. Maybe, maybe in the second film or maybe as Anakin, you know, Anakin, you know, 
first of all, I mean, I we'll get to this when we get to the second movie, but I would have liked to seen a real authentic friendship forged between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Never happens. Okay. You're supposed to take you're supposed to just believe that these people are friends, but their relationship is shown as almost nothing but contentious, really. Right. But it is from the beginning, to be fair. Like Obi-Wan doesn't really like Anakin. No, in episode but, they, one. but but they're supposed to be great friends. Right. So when later they on. do split apart, you would see you would understand the tragedy would then be palpable. You understand what I mean? Right, because they share their love of Qui-Gon and all of this, right? Right, everything. Right. I mean everything. You know, just just coming up together and being on the Jedi Council together and being you know going on all these adventures together, whatever it is. But I could see a thing where as Anakin is sort of becoming more powerful and he's still under Obi-Wan's tutelage and still a Padawan to Obi-Wan, but, you know, increasing more and more in this, you know, incredible power that he has where he's getting to the point of like, well, I think I'm better than this guy. Then Darth Maul could come in where Anakin wants to fight him and Obi and Obi-Wan fights him and kills Darth Maul. And then Anakin realizes, okay, maybe I'm underestimating Obi-Wan here. You know, that could have been a device where Anakin, it gave Anakin pause when he was maybe getting a little too proud and that he has a real rival here if he's going to defy Obi-Wan. You know what I mean? So maybe, and maybe even as an audience, we're thinking, you know, is Obi-Wan, is is this relationship right? Is Obi-Wan actually, you know, should he be the one in charge of this? super powerful kid is Anakin kind of justified in thinking like why am I under this guy's thumb you know when I'm more powerful and then when he comes in and he fights Darth Maul and kills him it gives Anakin sort of a moment of like all right you know this isn't going to be as easy as I thought right thing that could have been cool it would have been very cool you know we've come up with many cooler ideas in this conversation (laughs) it's easier said than done right it's hard to execute on all these things but I I guess the point is is that in four and a half years, they could have done better than this and with the amount of money that they were spending, too. And there was another another quote I wrote down that I Please. had to share with you. Please. Uh, Doug Chang is a really famous artist and was a concept artist working on these movies. And this is what he said about episode one's reception. OK, he says, quote, I was just shocked at the level of dislike it garnered. I thought it was unfair. I don't think they understood it properly. For us, it was hard because I felt that some of those issues might have been addressed if we could have finished it a little bit better, lit it a little bit better or whatever. But at the end, it was hard. End quote. You had four and a half years and one hundred and twenty five million dollars to do this. And we didn't understand it properly. Ah, that's weird. Are you this is there's so much denial. This is from 2015. This quote. There's so much denial about this movie. I understand if you don't want to be associated with it, but you're, you weren't the problem, Doug Chang. You created some of these great, he created Darth Maul's look. He created Sebulba. He created all right, these characters. Right, right. Sebulba, great character. So to me, I'm like, and even Wado, who I don't really have a problem with, like I don't have a problem with that character that no. much. It's a little over the top, but I like him. The CG doesn't hold up, but that's not fair to gate. You know, things have come a long way. That's another thing we have to say. I mean, things have film CG, visual effects, filmmaking in general, that that's all come a long way as it does in this amount of time that's elapsed since the movies come out. But we're not, you know, we, we have been very careful not to analyze it that way. We're be trying to be very fair in analyzing it by late 90s standards. Right. And a character like Watto couldn't have been done practically, at least if in the way that they no, at least the, the way they envisioned him. They couldn't have done it. No, that way. He was, and he wasn't bad. He's, he certainly doesn't fall apart like Jar Jar does. There was a little more restraint with with Watto. And I think Sebulba, I like so much because the voice is so cool. It's almost yeah. like a Jabba like voice. He might be speaking the same language. I think he is speaking the same language as Jabba. As Jabba. Whatever that whatever that language is. I don't know. Hutties. Yeah. 
I think he is. That is what he's speaking, which would make sense as being the, the language of Tatooine. Yeah. 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 Since, you know, the Hutt's a gangsters. Uh, so <laughs> one of the one of the positive things that I want to talk about, we, we talked a little bit about well, we talked a lot about Natalie Portman. Her costumes are really great. Oh, I, I really love actually a lot of the humanoid and human characters costumes in this. And I think that that's such a strong thing. They really nailed Amidala's look as being this mysterious, mystical queen of this far off, peaceful, whatever planet that's yeah. being embargoed for some reason. And right. So I, I, I do want to throw that out there that for all of for, you know, Doug Chang's quote and, and all of this, like the, the look of Amidala, the look of Maul, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon in their robes and all of this. Uh, not, I don't really have an aesthetic problem with this movie from no. from that point of view. To, to be positive, right? Yeah, that's great. I mean, you know what I love about Amidala's costuming too? Her, her not only her costuming, but her makeup call is it's a nice evolution. If you if you you know you talk about connective tissue and the fandom men is having connect back to the the movies that we know that we that we loved that we that made us want to you know, look forward to this film so much that it's a nice evolution from what we saw of Princess Leia with her various costumes. With, you know, when you see her, or, you know, initial white costume with the hair buns to Hoth to Cloud City to even to even to Jabba's palace and seeing her her uh, costuming at the end of A New Hope when she's at the award ceremony. So it's a nice evolution of that because it's it's taking it to the next level again. It's making it even more dynamic, but it definitely plays off of that. And I love the Eastern influence to the aesthetic as well really really cool like almost you know like an ancient eastern influence to the makeup and to the look into the colors and to the fabrics and everything really really beautifully done gorgeous let's talk about one of the biggest problems with the movie i think generally speaking okay. although we talked about many problems already is midichlorians oh yes and really how they ruin the nature of the force now this i think no matter no matter what happens in this movie and no matter how we take it, yeah. I think the biggest shame here is that, and maybe the biggest thing that Disney really ought to retcon and even go back and re-edit this movie to get rid of this because you could do it pretty easily because it's really only one, actually two pieces of correspondence, one at the Jedi Council and one between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon when Obi-Wan's on the ship when he's like talking about it. You can get rid of those scenes and not really lose much. Midichlorians for me suck so bad because it ruins what I thought was the nature of the force, which was that it was kind of like a religion and, or at least a philosophy of some sort that people could tap into yeah. that made it seem like anyone had access to it. And so while some people are more gifted in the force, like Luke was gifted in the force, obviously Anakin's gifted in the force. Leia even has force abilities and obviously their children, Han and Leia's children have it. It just, I, I didn't really understand why, why it had to be, quantified like that because it was a it was the unquantifiable nature of it that made Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru unaware that Luke had any talent that made Obi-Wan even unsure about what he was dealing with with Luke and all of this so when they go back and make it so literal it really ruins the mystique of the force because it, I, I really I don't know maybe it's my own expectations but I just thought that it was more than that I just thought that it was some sort of weird religion like I think Uncle Owen calls it something like that. Like, right, there's weird, the, that weird hocus pocus or whatever oh, the fuck he says. Oh, he says that wizard's a crazy old man. Right. Well, he says that, but doesn't he say something about the force itself? Um, 
about how like that uh, that old hocus pocus or whatever like something like something that like something that. dismissive maybe like that's that. han that says oh that. yeah maybe that's what it is right so there's like you think han would have known that right right so absolutely Kyle. what it's, do you think about that i think it's honestly i think the fact of sort of reinterpreting the force was probably one of the most misguided things in the entire film you know i think it's one of the things that is they got the most wrong because as you said you have this you have this thing that's already pretty well established in the first three movies that we think we understand insofar as that it's this mystical, almost unexplainable, cryptic thing that's this kind of this elusive power that can't really be explained, but some really special people for some reason have it. And then you go three movies in, you set the universe, everything's well established, some of the biggest characters have this power. Some of our favorite characters have this power. And then you completely change what it is. And basically, even if you don't, even if you could argue it's not completely changed in the science of or, you know, the nuances, whatever it is to the dialogue or describing it a certain way or whatever. But you're basically changing the essence of what we thought of it and you're putting it, you're just taking, as you said, you're taking all the mystique out of it. You know, it, it's it's inherently making it not special and, unex, you know, over explaining it is just it's it's just heavy handed writing. You know, even if even if the force was never even mentioned and this was the first time we saw the force, it's just it's so heavy handed. It's so over explained. It's so overwrought. It's just the most misguided thing. What everybody loves about the Force and about Yoda and about Obi-Wan and all these mythical and Luke and all these mythical beings and even Vader, even the bad and the guys yeah. and the Emperor and Force choking and Force pushing and lightsabers and this ancient religion. And it's the antithesis of using blasters and being, uh, you know, and, you know, this take this is something that takes talent. This is something that most people don't understand. This is for really special people. But, you know, it all chalks up to how much it just happens that it's all much that metachlorines are in your blood. And now we're getting into like injecting Anakin to see how how good he is at the force. Like it's fucked up. Like it's dude, it's so misguided. It, it is completely like the fact that there wasn't the, the, the fact that nobody said anything. I, I did. There had to be there had to be at Skywalker Ranch. There had to be rooms full of people taking coffee breaks that were like, what the fuck? Like, you know what I mean? But they don't want to sacrifice their $200,000 salary. So they don't want to, you know, that that's that's the only thing I could think of. That's the only way I could I could envision this going down. You know, that this is, I mean, we talk about misguided, which is an overarching theme of this conversation. But this is the, probably the most misguided thing because this is this story is about the force. It's about how each character implements and uses this ancient power this special power and they either use it for good or for evil now you're exchanging completely what it is right it's it's weird too from the sense that and i just thought about this recently before we watch it but but more recently where i'm like if this is such a sophisticated and technologically advanced, unbelievably technologically advanced. They, they travel faster than light and right. they have they've literally an entire galaxy tens of thousands of light years across they've managed to occupy all these planets and there's all these races or whatever so even if it was midichlorians you're trying to tell me none of your scientists could have isolated this and injected this into people it seems like it's just one of those things that could have been easily manipulated and at the very least someone with some story chops could have been like listen there's too many ways to poke holes in this it's way 
it's way cooler to make That's it a great point. It's way cooler to just make it a some sort of religious thing that is mystical that maybe anyone can tap into, but that some people just are more in tune with it. And some people go, I guess, the godlike angel route and some people go like the Lucifer route. Right. And it's just all about your interpretation of the power. Some people are so powerful yeah. that they can't help it. Right. They can't help but completely use it for the wrong reasons. Even if like with Anakin, it's like in our our retcon of the story, even if it could have been something with Anakin where it was more gray, where maybe he's kind of using the force to win that pod race. Right. Which is not honest, but he's not necessarily maybe hurting anyone, but it's it's caused disruption and and it's caused the gray area where someone like Obi-Wan or Qui-Gon would have never cheated like that. Although Qui-Gon does cheat. Because he manipulates the chance die because he would have otherwise gotten Shmi. Absolutely. So even Qui-Gon has grayness in him. It could have been something that was played up. It's a great point. Obi-Wan cheats too. Obi-Wan tricks the sand troopers in Mosai and outside of Mos Eisley to right. let them in. Right, so right. It's like they do do what they need to do. Absolutely. Qui-Gon tries to force influence Wado. Wado multiple times. Right. So before the dice. So it's and yeah. he and he does it to the and he does it to the Trade Federation as well. That's right. So there's all sorts of gray shit. Like Qui-Gon's definitely not like a, a like a paladin of some sort, right? Right. And that would have been the cool thing to kind of explore there as well. But they, they weren't able to do it. And I I just, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird expo- exposition thing where I'm like, I think we kind of get it, dude. I don't know that you need to explain the force. We just get that it's this weird thing that exists and that they feel. because So you bring Anakin in. You talk to Yoda and Mace Windu and Kiati Money and all these guys, and they tell you they tell you that you have, they got a bad feeling about this kid. Right. Well, how do you have a bad feeling about him? You didn't even know that he was talented until we tested him. Right. It doesn't make any sense. It actually is a plot hole. It's not only just like a bad thing. It's just actually a plot hole. Yeah, that's a great point, Kyle. I don't know if I ever thought of that. Yeah, that's that's a that's a truism. We right didn't know there. that anything about this kid, but uh, something's wrong with him. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, I guess so. Don't worry, it's just bad acting. Yeah. It's just- <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, another thing that we should talk about, Dick, as we begin to wrap up. Yeah. Is the, you know, just a few of the other things that I wanted to touch on. Uh, the pod race. Yes. How do you feel about this? I The pod race has always been, and I know this is a very divisive thing. Some people feel like I do and some people feel opposite. But the pod race was always probably my favorite part of this film. And I was telling you about this a little bit, Kyle. One of the things I love about the pod race is the design of the pod. I, you know, I'm a little bit of a car guy. I'm, a, you know, cars. I, I really like cars. I enjoy cars. I'm not a super car. I'm not a motorhead. I'm not a super car enthusiast, but I really like cars a lot. I follow car culture to a certain extent. I follow what the automate, you know, current, you know, contemporary automakers are doing and modern cars, especially. And I really like the pod race scene. I think the design of the pods are cool. I think the design of a lot of the characters are cool. I always thought Sebulba was really cool. I love that we were talking about the sound design. I think the sound design during the sequence is so, it's really, really good. And I really like, you know, seeing point blank. It's really kind of cool. It always registered with me to see Anakin's talent as far as, you know, as far as piloting goes. As far as piloting craft goes, you get to see a little bit of his talent as far as um, his engineering skills and his building skills. But I always love the race. I think it's really well. I think it's really fun. I think it's really well done. The the two headed uh, race commentator really bothers me. I don't like that character. But the race itself, I think, is a lot of fun. And 
I understand, I think, why this is one of the most, for me at least, one of the most successful sequences of the movie is because George Lucas is a known motorhead. He was obsessed with racing cars as a kid. He's really, really into cars. He's really into Mopar and classic cars and racing and drag racing and all that kind of stuff. This is George Lucas in his wheelhouse. This is him doing, you know, what he knows and telling a story about what he knows best. And I don't think that's an accident. And I think that's why this sequence is so successful. I think he knows just how to tell this part of the story. He knows just how to shoot a race. He knows just how to show tension with the race, who's fast, who's slow, how are we going to make this guy crash up, all that kind of stuff. I think this is him in his, in really, no pun intended, in his wheelhouse. And I think that's... uh. I think that's a really, I think that's a really, this, that's, it's a really big reprieve. I mean, along with John Williams' score, I think those are the two band-aids for me on the whole movie. You know, the Duel of the Fates scene is really cool too. And Darth Maul's a cool character. But for me, the pod race is one of the redeeming qualities of this movie. What do you think of it? I like it. I don't have a problem with it. I think that the, I do have a couple problems with it, I guess, but it's necessary to the plot. This this even in my retcon would exist in the in, in the plot because this, I think, is a central part of the story about showing off his skills and they need to do this in order to get what they need to get off the planet. Sure. Now, they could have, again, been much more dynamic in the way they approached this and made it much more complicated, which I think would have been cool so that maybe this maybe the movie even ends with this thing or something like that. But yeah, the two headed announcer is totally unnecessary. That would have been very easy to remove. And that could be another thing that Disney could remove, although that I don't think that that would be something that they necessarily need to do, but they could if you just it's bad. If you just made a couple of the pilots a little less cartoonish and had them be like normal races that you have seen before. And one of them's like Rigi's character and yeah. a couple others. So it's not like you didn't see any of them, but maybe one of them would have been a Rodian or whatever the case might be instead of some of these cartoonish looking characters like the frog character and stuff. There's no other human pilot. Oh, the no. whole thing was about Yeah, yeah, is that how humans it. can't yeah, do it? Right, right, right. But also so just making that a little more serious and then just otherwise it's fine because I like I like it. It's necessary. It's exciting. It places that seed that, you know, when we hear about Luke's talent with the T-16 later on and stuff like that, it's in his blood. This is kind of where it comes plays from. All that kind that. Of, right. Sure. That's a great point. And, I, you know, and in his relationship with Biggs and all that kind of stuff, it's all tethered back to this moment. And so I have no problem with it. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Getting rid of the announcer would have been great. Maybe grounding a little bit more. Some of the characters, because I agree with you, the, the 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 audio design, how each one of them sounds differently. I especially love how Sebulba sounds. It's like, a oh, it's, like, so it's cool. really cool. It they sounds have, they have character. Right. Exactly. And so I like it. I, I think it's a positive part of the movie. I think people are a little hard on that part of the movie. I think there's way other way more things than what, wrong with this. What don't people like about that sequence when they say when they criticize it? I, I'm very curious to know that. I really think a lot of it has to do with that announcer because it totally makes it seem childish yeah 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 it's the the announcer's bad i mean we there's a little fun little touches fun little callbacks we were talking about the tuscan raiders taking pot oh yeah we were laughing at that it's that's really good yeah you brought up the point like they're trying to destroy them so they can run out and get that yeah you know scavenge and and all that kind of stuff and the job you know they see some jawas in there so and and you know of course jabba and bib fortuna in the scene I really, you know, I really lament. We were talking about this last night. I love Java. Who doesn't? Everybody loves Java. Every everybody knows that's one of the most brilliant practical effects made for a film. Why not just put? Even if you had to make a younger Java and a younger Bib, use practical effects for Java. You know what I mean? Yeah, you especially because he barely moves. Like he crawls up. Right. But that's you not even necessary any, to see. No, that. just have him in place already. In fact, it would have been way. Co- Although I guess it insinuates that he gets fat and old over time and can barely move because right. then they put him on the thing. But like. It would have been way cooler to just see him 
advance to the window on one of his little devices Absolutely. and have Bib Fortuna on it and Salacious Crumb or whoever's with him. I think that would, and, and maybe some Gamorians or something like that. It would have been pretty cool. So it, I agree with you. That was a, a missed opportunity because I even like how they have like his female, whoever that other hut. Oh, the other is. hut's in there. Yeah. Her, na- her name's in it. They do say her name once. Is it Gardella? Gardella yeah. Gard- yeah. Something like that. Oh, yeah. So she's mentioned. Right. Because they because it's Gardola I think or something. Watto says something about how they lost or won a bet with her. Or right. Like that. Right. Right. So, yeah, I have no problem with that. And okay. and. I wonder also how you feel about the battle droids, because these are another thing. These are another like the, I like the whole thing of like Roger, Roger and stuff. I think it's cool. You do like that? Yeah, I have no problem with that, like how they're really rudimentary. Again, I don't think it makes any sense that they have ranks. I think it would have been way cooler. Stormtroopers have ranks. They're human or so we thought. Yeah. And because uh, obviously George Lucas can't stop ruining things. So in episode two, he ruins Boba Fett and he ruins the stormtroopers. We'll get to that later. Right. <laughs> the, the ruination certainly doesn't oh, stop. Oh, my God. I forgot about all that. Because yes, Boba right. Fett's completely ruined and the stormtroopers oh, are completely ruined in episode all two. All the mystique. Was oh, all out. the stormtroopers are uh, clones. That's exciting. All the coolest stuff was ruined. Because that was so. Yeah, it was, it was. All the coolest stuff was ruined. Literally. But I like the battle droids and you made a really good point. Which is that I had asked the question, like, why are the battle droids tethered to the to the motherships? Doesn't really make any sense. You don't see any other droid acting like that. They're all autonomous, but these aren't. And you made the point that like this showed a fundamental flaw in their military. That's why they went and got the clones. So yes, that's a good point. So that even makes a lot of sense to me. But I like how they aren't very talented. There's they really throw numbers, numbers out there. It's sheer numbers. And how I like how I, there's some cool design, how the the ships land, the landers land and they come out on these racks and they put the racks down and they drop them as like little balls and they all stand up at the same time and stuff like that. It's cool. They I like the battle droids. They work. I think it's cool that they're not, you know, particularly proficient or efficient and they're not particularly intimidating because that does. It is a nice logical pro- progression to the stormtrooper, which is much more fearsome. You know, so I and I I used to actually not like them for that, but I understand and I understand the frailty as well. The fra- you know the frailty as far as how they look and how they're easily destroyed, and basically the Jedi's are just running through them like butter. And you know the Roger Roger thing I have a problem with because that's too much modern Earth lingo for me. Like sure, it, it takes you out. It's like saying doo doo or something, or right. calling something a laser sword. Like that's not that's what we say. That's not what you're supposed to say. This is a you know a long time ago in a galaxy far far away. So I have a problem with that actually. But you know that's picking. I mean that's there's you know bigger fish to fry. Only, that should be our only problem right. with this movie. Yeah, you're probably right about that. I, I guess what I liked about it because it really could have been anything, but I like that generally speaking that's all they say because yeah. it shows that stupidity. They're stupid. Like they're basically just giving instructions. <laughs> they could have been just been anything. Like you know so it, it, it's Roger Roger and that, but it could have been anything, right? They could have literally just flashed their eyes or something like that. And it could right, have been, right, like, right. I think it just showed how stupid they were. But again, <laughs> again, it frustrates me that it's like commander. You know, one of them. It's like, why, why is he the commander? What's different about him? If he's so talented, why wouldn't you just make a bunch of him? <laughs> I love that. Point. I mean, it doesn't make a, any sense. It doesn't. Well, OK, so this guy's painted yellow and he's the commander. He's got more talent. So why wouldn't you just replicate him? <laughs> Maybe they're more expensive to build. Doesn't seem like a price is much of a, a problem for these guys. 12 year olds, dude. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, you know what? One other thing I want to touch on and then I'll, I'll throw it to you, Dane, because I'm sure there's things I haven't brought up yet. But one other thing I want to talk about was Coruscant, because this is the first time we see the planet. Right. And Coruscant, of course, is famously made by Timothy Zahn. This is something from the expanded universe. One of the very few things that they keep from the expanded universe when they folded it. 
And obviously they had to, even if they didn't want to, because first of all, it's a brilliant idea to have basically a planet city, capital city. It's just a whole one big city. Right. But also because it's it's baked into the movies now. But what do you think of the, what do you think of their rendition of the planet? I don't know that it stands up very well, but I don't know that I would have visualized it much differently. Maybe a little bit darker. And you do see it a little bit darker. You do see it darker. Later on. And in the movie, when Maul and Palpatine are on the balcony, for instance, right. that happens I at night. I love that scene. Right. I like that specific portrayal of the city. But yeah, I think I think it's very well imagined. I think it was a really nice. Again, it's like the set pieces. Like George Lucas is very mindful to give you everything. It's a very, you know, it's a very action serial formula where you know this is set in the desert. Now we're in the woods. Now we're in the snow. Now we're on the water planet. Now we're in space. You know, now we're in this cool robotic sort of all these corridors with these you know dangerous red barriers. You know, everything is. All the environments are very thought, and the settings are very thoughtful. It, had, it, 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 it's nice to have those set pieces as far as like when you're dealing with just a nice, entertaining popcorn movie. And this is one of those things, and we've never seen anything like that. I would argue in a Star Wars movie, besides being aboard the big ships like the Corellian cruisers and the Star Destroyers and stuff. Besides that, we've never seen that level of tech because we're used to much more primitive planets like Endor and Tatooine and so forth. So that was kind of that was you know we do see Cloud City, and that's that's a little different, but that's a little bit. That has its own unique aesthetic that's much more fantastic. This is almost just like, you know, wouldn't it be cool? Again, very dynamic thinking, very, very cool level of exaggeration where the entire planet is the city, which is really a striking, you know, very striking image. So I really like it. I think it's very successful. And I think all the environments like you, you had mentioned, all the environments in this movie really work, I think, for the most part. You know, that's 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 actually a success. That's actually you could actually score that in favor of the film. All the environments are good, but Coruscant, it was that's that's definitely cool. With Coruscant, they celebrate the end. Is the ending celebration set? No, that's on Naboo. That's on Naboo. Okay, yeah. So, but you know, Naboo, all the, all the environments in this movie really work. You know, you could you could argue again, like it's such a small universe. Why is it set on Tatooine? And but you know, you you get it. You know, it works, and you get to see a little more Tatooine. You get to see a little. You know, you get Tatooine gets fleshed out. I like that. So, yeah, from an environment perspective, I think this movie is really successful. Yeah, I don't have an incredible problem with Tatooine being in the movies because it is it is cool that there's like one planet where everything seems to be happening all the time. Right, right, right. But, yeah, it's just the familiar. It's just like, why is R2 in this? Why is 3PO in this? Wh- yeah. Like, what what is going on here? Even touching with Jabba, Jabba is cool, but even that might be a little too much because he's also in A New Hope and then he's also in Jedi. So why is he so central to the story? He's really only central to the story because of Han. So even indicating that he's central to it way earlier is a little weird. You know what, Kyle? I wonder, you know, I now I, I'm starting to think like, is R, having R2, including R2 and including 3PIL in these movies, is that like flop sweat? Like, in other words, is that like, well, even if people don't like the movie, at least I'll have their beloved R2 and C-3PO. It's like almost like a safety mechanism in case, you know, in order to try to, you know, invoke familiarity or whatever it is. You know, is that like putting it in there? At, are they putting those things in there out of fear? It could be. I mean, is it that they can't, you know, because when you're connecting one set of movies to the other over this amount of time, you think you could do it just by creating a universe that you inherently know and that you know what the word tone means and that you could actually connect one to the other, even though technology, filmmaking technology and VFX technology have, have progressed so far that you don't have to actually do that by putting the same. That's such a that's such an amateur move. 
It's like, that's what you're going to do. You're going to put the same characters in it. That's how we're connecting one to the other. You know, it's, it just seems like, it just seems like, it just seems like an, like a, like folly. Like they don't know enough. I mean, this movie is so bad sometimes that it feels like they were trying to make it seem like a B movie on purpose. That, that I, I said it. I, I really do inherently think that. I think this movie gets so bad at times that it feels like they were trying to make a B movie of Star Wars. That's what it feels like. To me. The end result certainly feels like it. You know, sometimes it just seems like that. It's very inferior to what came before. But it. they weren't. It, they no. were just that detached from what Star Wars had become to people. And I think a lot of that is in the people working for George Lucas and the people that they casted. You either get it or you don't. You know what I mean? Ewan McGregor gets it. You know what I mean? He just gets it. He understands it. And I think that was Natalie Portman's job was to get it. And she didn't. She got paid a lot of money to not get it. Right. You know? Sure. Surely. She shouldn't have been cast in the, in, in the, you know, but she was old enough to say she should have immersed herself in that universe and she could have helped instead of hindered. Do you understand what I mean? Definitely. She, she famously didn't know anything about Star Wars when she was casted, which is bad. But, and, and she, and it's obvious to me that she didn't know anything about Star Wars when she was filming it, because if she did, it would, she could have helped instead of hindered. You know what I mean? It's everybody's job. To, to have a cohesive vision of what they're doing. They're making a lot of money. And this is this is a, you know, I'm not butthurt by it, but this is a this is a property that's important to a lot of people. And I think it was their duty to get it right. And they got it more wrong than I could have ever possibly imagined. More wrong than you could have imagined. <laughs> <laughs> Royale, which... <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Dig? Did I, did I not bring up uh, some stuff you know that you what, wanted Kyle, to touch the on? The only thing we didn't touch on a little bit, and I wanted to get your opinion on this, and I think it's probably relatively easy possibly to poke holes in what I'm about to say and maybe find ways around this, but the tech in this movie always bothered me a little bit, and I'll tell you why. Because it seems like the tech in this movie, and I'm referring to the weapons and the spaceships and some of the environments and stuff like that, they seem more evolved in this movie, even though this trilogy is taking place before the movies that we see later. Do you understand what I mean? Definitely. So I think, and I think, again, I really... Now, you could chalk that up to, well, when New Hope starts, you have this scrappy upstart rebellion. They, you know, they, they have this scrappy tech. They're scraping the, everything that they have together. But... You also have the Empire in that equation, okay, which is this wealthy, prolific, huge thing that's supposed to be at the, you know, nearing the height of their power or certainly increasing in power. And I think I really do chalk it up to, an again, just a, a complete lack of restraint. It's like, I understand you can make this spaceship looks shiny and metallic now, but you can't because this is supposed to take place X amount of years before New Hope. You have to make it look like this is set in the past. You can't have, you know, and you could also say, well, it's Queen Amidala. She's royalty. She's wealthy. She has these amazing spaceships. We didn't get to see that. When New Hope starts, we're not seeing that. We're seeing the rebellion. So again, you could poke holes in that, but just from an overall aesthetic standpoint. Right, but even like Tiderium and stuff, which is like, empire ship or the right. emperor ship is not doesn't look anything like these right these ships, look, right. right that's a great which point. would have been like probably the most sophisticated ship they had right exactly you know that's very gray and very plain looking and uh, you know decidedly more budget looking it doesn't look sleek 
and sharp and shiny and all that kind of I stuff. I love so, that ship too. Like that's one of my favorite ships. That's up, how you up there with the slave and, and a few others. Oh, yeah, for it's sure. So good. It's, a, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's be- the the shape of it is so unique. It's so beautiful, and you could see the different different influence. Well, I think the most successful aircraft and ships in Star Wars, you could see the influences. You could see the real life vehicles and the real life aircraft that each thing was inspired by, at least in parts. Because I think that's another thing Lucas is passionate about, right? Or yes, old very, dog fighting and, yeah, and World War Two. Very planes. much into that. You know what I mean? And you could, again, you could see that. The X-Wing is one of the most beautiful vehicle designs ever created. And TIE Fighter, I think, is not too far, too far behind because oh, they're gorgeous. so they're elegant in their simplicity. And they're different. Like, with the exception of Y-Wing, which I'm not crazy about, they get a little more sophisticated, the B-Wing and... And the A-Wing and stuff, those are yeah. a little different. And they get the TIE Interceptors and the TIE Bombers. They get a little out of control. But <laughs> but yeah, the, the the base X-Wing and the base TIE Fighter are just such interesting designs in their simplicity. But I agree with you. that the Because I wrote it in my notes, it's a similar thought. It's just that the movie feels and looks too clean. So some of that can be chalked up, like you said, to where it is. Like if you're fighting in a, a palace on Naboo, of course it's going to be nice and clean. Right. But... It there's not enough grit. Even Tatooine doesn't feel dirty enough. Even Tatooine doesn't feel worn enough. Like if you compare Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru's moisture farm and Mos Eisley and a few of the other places, and even when where the Falcon, you know, the bay where Fa- the Falcon takes off and stuff, it just it, they look like different places to where to where Tatooine was, and Tatooine just doesn't look run down enough to me in in this movie either. So I think it all just kind of stitches together. I think everything just had a too clean of an aesthetic. Yeah, and that's that continues throughout the all three of the movies, and that's really short sighted when you have some literal, literally, literally, some of, literally some of the most you know talented people working in, you know, working in media, you know, working in creative fields, you know, some of these people, some of the most talented people at this time that you know they they should have had that vision and the discipline and the and you know knowledge of art direction to say like look. I know we want to do all these cool things. We want to create all these new designs and stuff. And they could have done that. But you, there should have been a concerted effort to make it look older, just in general, you know. So, you know, there's just that. I mean, you know, people that know a little bit more about thing, you know, about the the exact ins and outs, the really, really technical aspects of Star Wars might be able to poke holes in that. But for me, just from an overarching standpoint, that always bothered me. That bothered me when I first saw the movie. I was like, this movie, wait. You know, it looks like future, more futuristic than Return of the Jedi. Why is that? You know, than A New Hope. Why is, you know, why is that? I don't know. So that's the other, you know, what's the, Kyle, what's the name of the uh, the pilot that we're making fun of? Nick Ollie. What and, are some of his lines? Oh, I, I don't even remember. Uh, I already did the shield generators down, or shield generators down. <laughs> what else does he say? I don't know. He says something like straight ahead or so, so, some <laughs> some weird thing. I don't even know anymore. He He sucks. Oh, that character sucks. He's the worst. Just straight up and down. That character's terrible. <laughs> At the time, I remember being like, what is wrong with this guy's delivery? Like, even as a ninth grader, I, I thought that there was something totally wrong with that. Like, that's the best take you can get out of that guy. I know. It's weird. It's really strange. I'm always I always get not it's not exclusive to Star Wars. I'm always blown away when there's just badly delivered lines in a movie, like clearly badly delivered lines. And I'm like, that's the take. You that's couldn't even you're going with? you couldn't even dub it over. Oh, man. like they could have literally dubbed those lines over. They could have literally. Oh, absolutely. Of course. Shield generator's been hit. (laughs) Jesus. God, have you ever acted? Now, how do you think we did, Kyle? Do you you know, did we, um, you think we did this justice? Yeah, I think it's a negative conversation, but it's like I said at the top and why I wanted to begin with that letter. 
and why I've ignored a lot of the other ins and outs of the some of the letters we got, because I knew we would be able to steer this by ourselves. But I, I wanted to begin with that at the outset because I knew that it was going to be negative. But and I want I want you put it really well. I It's not saying I want knockback to be positive might be a misnomer. Maybe I'm wrong in saying that it's it just got to be honest. And I think that through our memories, we often shade things with a little bit of positivity and happiness and the qualities that that make us want to return to them but and the things th- that inspire us right exactly we naturally want to talk about those things right that's exactly right and i think that there's a lot of i think the reason that there's a lot of passion for us with this movie and these three movies these prequel movies is because star wars did inspire us a lot and there's a lot of pain. I, I I can't think that I don't think this can be understated. There is a lot of authentic pain that people feel with these movies. I know that's crazy. I am a huge nerd. I like making fun of people being nerds, but I'm a huge nerd. Right. And I feel like there's a lot of anguish that some of us feel about this because we had expectations, but also because it's just a wasted opportunity. There's not going to really be the ability to tell the story again. Like you said, this powerful story about the, the origins of Darth Vader, one of these stories we were always desperate to since before I was born, people were desperate to hear this story. And so it can't be undone. It ultimately, like I said, I wish that it was undone. I think that would have been a very bold thing to do. And if I were at Disney, I would have really considered that. And I yeah. bet you they did. But oh, I bet you that. that, that yeah, that, that, that might have come up. Absolutely. Right. Could we do this again? Absolutely. dude. Or could we just unwrite them and not even and pretend that these stories were never even told? Continue <laughs> moving forward and then bury maybe, them in the classic Disney vault. Yeah. To never be seen again. And then <laughs> maybe continue forward with seven, eight, nine. And then maybe double back and try them again in the future. Yeah. I understand why they didn't do that. Right, so right. that's where I think the anguish for me comes from is that it's it's etched in stone. This is these these are these movies. And like I said, there's more bad Star Wars than good now. And that's a problem because really, I would consider the great Star Wars to be the original trilogy and Rogue One. And I would consider the good Star Wars to be like episode seven and some of the EU stuff. And that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I totally. Hear and some you. of the video games like Dark Forces and right. Shadows of the Empire and stuff. That's obviously that's good stuff. Right. Too. I understand. But there's saying. way more bad stuff. I Like we're going to get that uh, this fall. We're going to get from when we're recording this. We're going to get that Respawn Entertainment Jedi. Oh, game, right. Which yeah. looks great. People are looking forward to that. But I'm skeptical because of these movies yeah. and because of episode eight, which I think is only getting worse the more I think about it. I'm worried. Uh, you mean nine? No, eight. Oh, eight. Oh, the fact that that movie's getting worse right. for you is is that yeah, I just have the worst. This is too. the this Me is too. the movie. This is the movie that made that painted every Star Wars experience moving forward as an inherently negative one for me that must be turned around. Right. It, it's I'm not going into it neutrally. No, I went into episode seven with my arms crossed. You're the one who always used that impression, yeah. like that, that expression. Yeah. Right. When we talk about it. I went into episode seven, sat down opening night, had my arms crossed. was like, just disappoint me and get this over with. Right. Already. You're defensive, completely right. on the defensive. And they didn't. And then Rogue One came. Rogue One came out and it was even it was even better. Yeah. And so on and so forth. Right. And then I started to be like, oh, well, and then I went to episode eight like a fucking idiot thinking that I'm like, there's no way they're not going to nail this. Think about how you good. Were hopeful. Yeah. I was like episode seven. Okay. We're getting, we're going, we got this thing going at rogue one. Okay. We're really cooking with fire. Now we are really cooking now. And then we go into episode eight. And I'm like, I was an idiot to even think that this was, this was going to be oh, any dude. different. And now I go into episode nine being like, I actually think episode nine, I have no idea how they're even going to 
salvage this? I really don't know. I mean, even after that first trailer and even after we know the very I was very surprised that, you know, apparently this has something to do with Palpatine still where his laugh is in the trailer. Um, maybe the next trailer will spell out a few more, you know, hints for us. But I like the trailer. I think it's really good. The trailer tells us nothing except, you know, Palpatine somehow involved and Lando's in it, which which was awesome to see. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm worried, man. I'm hopeful that I can end on a high note, but I honestly don't know how they're going to pull it off after eight. I mean, eight just doesn't sit well with me. That movie has just gone really down for me. Yeah, because you know. we really disagreed on it in the beginning. Because I, I remember getting at it. First of all, I laughed out loud during the Leia scene in the theater. Oh, God. I was, dude, I, I actually felt bad because I, I don't like to be a dick, especially in movie theaters. I don't. Yeah. But Ramon and I saw it together and people actually turned around and like looked at me. And I, I felt bad about that because I couldn't. I, it wasn't like a thing I was trying to be a dick. I actually started laughing. That, I thought it was that funny. That was your reaction. It's bad. It's really, really bad. Like, I didn't want to unimmerse someone from the moment, I mean, right? that scene is But bad. it was bad. That's like, bad. Not only was it... Not, again, it's another one thing where it's like, Carrie Fisher's fucking dead. That was your opportunity to kill her. Oh, my God. You know, like, it's like, what are you doing? So weird. It's really, really strange. That and and just the, the whole thing with... I know it bothers me more than most people, but Luke with the milk, you know? And I've the been, lightsaber over the I've back. I've been waiting so long to see my favorite character do something. I, I got through episode seven. He didn't do shit. Then I waited for episode eight, and that's what I'm seeing. Him throwing the lightsaber off. Uh, throwing over his, his lightsaber over the back, drinking milk, wiping his mouth, and doing like the, you know, I'm so cool face, and then spear fishing. This is literally what I saw from. This is literally what we saw from. Well, at least Ryan Johnson was able to subvert our expectations. He certainly oh did subvert God. our we expectations. We never see Luke or Han together. I mean, it's just like, what? Dude, it's just like this. It's amazing that things could be this misguided after the misguidedness of the original trilogy. It's just let me put it to you this way about the Phantom Menace, Kyle. It truly is the Phantom Menace. It is the menace that keeps on menacing. Yeah. For decades to come. I mean, it's just the most ironic movie title ever. You know, and what a great what a great title too. just so the whole it is a great title waste from top to bottom and some things that could be salvaged in there and some really exciting stuff that just wasn't taken advantage of any of the cool stuff in there wasn't fully exploited. And like I said, they just, they, they, they misunderstood it so much that they just continued to ruin shit. They make Yoda fight with a lightsaber. They ruin Yo, Boba Fett. God. They, it's like guys, we'll like there. every, deci- oh, we'll there. every decision is like, are you guys even star Wars fans? Yeah. It's just completely out of step with what it's supposed to be. And it's not, it's funny because it's not what, one person or five people or 10 people or even a thousand people think it's supposed to be it's most people because that because star wars was around for enough time previous to the prequel trilogy to establish itself in every way and you know you either get it or you don't get it and they just didn't get it you know what i mean that's i it's really really interesting to me and i'm not saying anybody's wrong for liking this movie or any of the prequel you know any of the new trilogy or any of the prequel trilogy but yeah to each his own it's really interesting to me when people like it's even a little less confusing to me when somebody's like i don't like the original movies i like the prequel trilogy than somebody who likes all of it because they are so different than each other you know what i mean it's like it doesn't make sense how can you like that Star Wars and this Star Wars. It's what do you like? Like it's I can't see the common ground. Just at the all. title, and it's I, and it's what and it's what you said. It's what you said earlier. It's it's they're incom they're so incompatible with each other that they don't feel like the same movies. And no, they really don't from the same universe. And yeah, it is. No one the 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 
the unfortunate shame is no one's gone broke taking advantage of nerds. I've said that before on the show, right? <laughs> yes, you have. And it's a great point. And I really feel like fandom can do a. There's a balance between positivity and negativity, and there's a balance between pragmatism and and just being mean spirited or whatever the case might be. And I understand that, but I don't understand what anyone gets out of just liking things to like them. And when you don't render criticism where it needs to be or where it probably should be, you get shit like episode eight. I'm sorry. That's where you, that's what you end up getting. You get episode eight. Yeah. And you're going to reap what you sow now with episode nine. I, I, I'm, I'm just telling you that right now. I'll be shocked if that movie salvages this trilogy and makes I, I and makes it coherent. It, I think it's nearly impossible to do it. I, I just don't understand how they would do it. I totally hear you call on that. I mean, it's really real. It's, it, it would be an impossible feat. It would be the it would be the most incredible feat in all of filmmaking history. Uh, I I mean it's unbelievable. I'll even bandy bandy about a, a theory for you about Phantom Menace, Kyle. I think this movie could be twice as good with the same exact structure, beat for beat, same shots, same dialogue, everything. If if the acting was just better. If the acting was actually better, and there's a lot of problems with this movie that go beyond the acting. I mean, there's bad CG, there's an overemphasis on CG, there's a lot of story problems, there's a lot of weak things, the whole thing about the Force and the Metachlorians, all that kind of stuff. But if you take this movie and just put better acting in there and do the same exact dialogue, same everything, I think it would be twice as good. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, just that problem alone would be solved because I just think of the gravity, how ridiculous, how absurd the original, not ridiculous, but how absurd the original Star Wars movies are and how authentically they seem like real worlds and real characters and real relationships and real stories that you care about and how this movie just completely lacks all of that. You know, especially we we're not going to talk about the next films yet because we'll eventually we'll get to those guys. Yeah, we'll get yeah, to yeah. those films. But for this movie, a long time it's just, from now, it's just out of a long time ago. <laughs> and ago. But it's just it's a, it's a sin. And you know what? I really hope Colin and I. It, it is it. You know, this is maybe the first time we're we're talking on knockback where we're talking about something that we inherently both decided not to like. But you have to understand a couple of things. We gave it a fair shake. We're, we rewatched it again. We were very thoughtful. Yeah, in we our took notes. notes and yeah. And I, we really, I really do hope, guys, and I'm not the one to say it. You guys have to be the judge that we brought some fresh perspective to this. And I feel like we did. I feel like we, we, we made some points that I ha- I certainly haven't heard, you know, made. And I, you know, un- unlike Colin, I listen to a lot of content. I listen to a lot of YouTube. I follow a lot of YouTubers. I'm really into YouTube. I'm really into podcasts. I listen to a lot of things. I never heard it discussed to this degree and it was really important for me to do that because i feel like i it's it's good when you could explain yourself and be constructive and you know colin just sat here and basically rewrote the movie for you guys too so you know and and again it's not negativity it's honesty and we have to be authentic about things and you know hopefully we're also entertaining and made you guys laugh a little bit and hey if you like this movie that's totally listen to each his own. Absolutely. You, know, you don't have to like everything, but don't feel like you're a, never feel like your identity is wrapped up enough in something where you can't. It's like me liking everybody's style on a skateboard or every piece of artwork that I see or every piece of animation I see. That doesn't make me an animator. What makes me an animator is that I'm discerning about it. What makes me an animation fan is that I'm discerning about what I like. And I could be constructive and talk about things in an articulate way, hopefully in an intelligent way to 
tell you what's good and what's bad, or at least what's good and what's bad to me. Yeah, again, because it's all subjective. It's all and, subjective. And to be fair, I do have a fireside chat. I don't know what number it is. I should have looked it up, but you guys can go look at it. That's my interview series for those that haven't listened to it, where I invited a film student on to defend the prequels. He defends them vociferously, actually. And so if you want a different perspective on that, I basically just let him talk. I mean, I challenge him a little bit, but yeah. I basically like, well, what? why am I wrong about this? But I'm, I've never felt more confident in my opinions of episode one than after watching it last night, because my honest opinion is that the be- the very beginning and the very end are really good and everything else is not very good. And there's all sorts of things that could have been changed. And yeah, I agree with you. I think my audience knows enough about me that if you can count on me for one thing, it's I'm never going to blow smoke up your ass ever. You know, it's just not going to happen. Even, not if, Colin. even if it, even if it makes you some of you not like me because of that, that's fine. Right. But I agree with you. You can't wrap up your identity into these things. I am very I've always been really confused by that. A good example is that. I've loved 311, the band 311 for like a long time, like 24, 23 years. Right. And a lot of people don't like them. And a lot of people make fun of them and make fun of me for liking them. And I don't care. It never once affected me. Right. So I I fucking hate 311. Okay. Right. I don't know what you want me to tell you about that. That's that's fine. Right. It literally does not affect my enjoyment of 311 whatsoever that you don't like it. So, and, and, and also I'll say that there are some things that I consider objectively bad that I like as well. So, like there are things where I'm like, I totally understand why no one likes this or yeah. I totally understand why this game isn't popular. I totally understand why this piece of music isn't that popular. I like it, but it's probably not very good. Right. And I think that that at the very most is what episode one really objectively is. I don't know that anyone can sit here and say like, this is a great movie. Mm. I really have a I struggle with that again. Subjective. Sure. But I think that it's OK, even as a fan of this movie to say, you know what? It's probably not very good, but I like it. Right. That's totally valid. Oh, absolutely. Of course. Because how many things, how many sh- shitty fucking songs have I heard that I actually like, right? But they're probably not very good pieces right, of music. Right, right, right. It's just one of those things that I think that this is, I think that it's, this has gone so full circle, this conversation, episode one, the episode one conversation uh, over the last 20 years that I think we're getting into the, the territory, not of revisionist history, but of, of a- an active attempt to like this movie. I watched that. I'm watching that happen. Over the last couple of years. And that's fine. If there's an if there's a revision that requires people or, or or leads people down a road to be like, you know, what, it's not as bad as I thought. That's what I said at the top. I, this movie's not as bad as I thought, but it's bad. No, I agree with you. It's not. I don't think I would. I would venture as far as to say that it's not as bad as I thought. But you have to also be. And I'm not accusing you of this call, but I'm just saying in general, you have to be really cautious that. You know, because it's entering nostalgia goggles territory now after 20 years. So you have to be really careful about that. You know what I mean? Where it's like, all right, it seems a little it seems a little less egregious because now, you know, you're looking at it in a in a retro way or a nostalgic way, which is a big part of this show. But I'm just saying in this particular case, you got to be careful about that. I don't think we're doing that. But, you know, hopefully we just all we could do is all Colin and I could do is sit here just like we do with every show and give you our, you know, give you an intelligent, hopefully in this case, at least give you an intelligent reasons for all the problems we have with this film and give you, you know, and articulate why and be as constructive as possible. And, you know, not not in a way to influence your decision one way or the other, but just tell us, you know, how we feel. And it's not just like a nerd sound off where it's like we hate this movie and you know because that sounding board is so tired i think there's got to be reasons i think if you're going to sit here and say things especially for an audience 
it's a, it's a really it's really we're really beholden to say it, do it in an intelligent way and you know really articulate our case as best as we can at two in the morning is it two now yeah this will also be i think the longest episode of the show and it's run so far wow how long are we going now probably over three hours i would say oh are we really yeah oh my good lord well we knew it was an important conversation yeah and and again i, I don't mean it as I, I'm, I guess I am serious. You you did vote for it, so it's it's we wouldn't have we wouldn't have put this one on the list at this point. I think that this would inevitably have come up at some point if we were just choosing our own topics. But I don't think I think it would have been I think we would have literally been hundreds of episodes in before we ever touched this this movie because because of that very reason because I don't know that I have an incredible amount of positive things to say about it. But like I said, this is what you wanted. But we do love the tandem grappling hook scene. Oh, man. We didn't I... laugh out loud together at that scene <laughs> last night. My God. What really, is even happening Really bad. Scene? Really bad. All right, Dave. Let's wrap up with our closing segments. All right. Lightning round. We're going to do our lightning round, Kyle. Our phantom menace lightning round. Here we go. Do it as quickly as, quickly as we can. R2 or C3PO? R2. Hayden or Jake? Hayden. Amidala or Leia? Leia. Darth Maul or Kylo Ren? <laughs> Darth Maul. <laughs> By the way, the only thing that the only thing we're waiting for in episode nine, and you guys could argue with me on this if you want, tweet at me, is to see whether Kylo Ren is redeemed or not. Right. That's the only thing. What else is there? And who cares? Ray's already that's, what that's she is. Ray's like, already there. She's already powerful. You know what I mean? It's like, what else is going to happen? I was waiting for Kylo Ren to put in his Jimmy World album or whatever the fuck he was going to do. <laughs> Cry a little bit. <laughs> Ewoks or Gungans? Ewoks. Low Rent Gene Hackman? Or what's his name? Nick? Nick Ali. Nick Ali. Low rent Gene Hackman, who's uh, yeah, we didn't go into him. Yeah, I, I, I free, he's like the end. Your line uh, that can only mean one thing: invasion. <laughs> that's that's low rent Gene Hackman. Sorry. I got to do it again. Invasion. <laughs> that was fantastic. Because <laughs> that that's even in the trailer. That yeah, that's why I know that. Because the the other like reckon, the thing I recognized from the old trailer was like the uh, now we must have our revenge or whatever that that Darth Maul line. Right, right, exactly. But the yeah. invasion line is the best. Oh my god. <laughs> Shmi or Amperu? I don't have a problem with Shmi, but Amperu. Going Amperu on yeah. this one. Dubak or what is it? The Gungan steed? I don't know. What I don't know what is. that is, but who cares? It's definitely got to be the Dubak. You're going Dubak. <laughs> yeah. George, last one. This is a big one. Oh no! This might be a hard one. Yeah, George Lucas or Ryan Johnson? George Lucas. <laughs> Going George Lucas. Just because I at least we, yeah, at least we know what he's capable. Of. How long are they gonna? How long are they gonna strap us to this guy? I don't know. Remember when the rumor came out that they he was removed from the new trilogy that they were gonna do after nine? You know how? Yeah. He, oh and yeah. Then, and then they came out and said that's not true. I'm like, is it not true? Apparently not. Apparently that he is. he's not in charge of this next trilogy. He is in charge of it. He is. Still yeah, in yeah. Charge. That's what I'm saying is that, that the rumor was that he wasn't, but that apparently you know he is. No, they're not going to take because care. there was so much celebration online when that was that rumor came out, and then you know you can, I, I again it's not a personal thing with Ryan Johnson. I just don't think he has the chops to, to deliver this, and, I, and I'm not sure who really does. He doesn't but. have the vision for it. Well, thank God he gave us that shite casino though. That that we I loved oh, that scene. My God. It's so, it's so, uh, that's a conversation. For Leia floating through space, friend. though, is definitely takes the cake. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Kyle, on this lightning round, 
I think we were pretty good. We were pretty neck and neck. The only thing I said, it looks like that you didn't say, I said Shmi because Amperu has to do with blue milk. And I'm not having that blue milk shit. Oh, you really? I like the blue milk in the in, in no, New anything Hope. The blue, I, I am so put off of blue milk after episode eight that oh, I can't fair anything with blue milk. Fair enough. Can't do it. Can't have it, my friend. Is the suggestion that they imported that milk to Tatooine? Because aren't they supposed to be poor? And then they're on the, those beasts are right. on. They're on a water planet. Yeah, which is also an island. which is apparently such a far out of way out of the way planet, by the way, that Luke has just been living there. And somehow they've imported this milk to Tatooine. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Just complete nonsense. That's a throwback for throwback's sake. That makes no sense. But thank God we got to see Luke touching some animals' boobs. That's oh yeah, that's what was... we waited for all these years. That's great. The, the I, I forget I it. Know. Just give Star Wars to me and Colin. I am confident in saying that. No, I've said I've said in the past because I feel that way about Mega Man too. I can write a I can write a good Star Wars movie. We have I'm the positive. Colin brothers, the Duffer brothers. Now we can have the Moriarty brothers. Yeah, I, I would like that. The Wachowskis. Now we can have the now we can have the Moriarty brothers. And you know what? We can make a better Star Wars movie. I don't know. I I don't know how to write a script, but I can make a better. Oh, a better, we could do it. No, but I, I was gonna say I could write a better story. Oh my god! I can definitely, definitely write a better Star Wars story. Sons of bitch. Sons of bitch. <laughs> they came me with some dad jokes before we wrap it up. Oh right, I almost forgot. All right, my friend, dad jokes. We have a few more episodes to, to record tomorrow. I'm gonna have to get all new dad jokes. I'm 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 running low on dad jokes here, my friend. I don't think I remind, forgive me guys. It's almost two 30 in the morning. So if I read this one already, remind me, but I usually good about X and these ad after I read them. Kyle, I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know. <laughs> you didn't use that one. That's, that was not that's, yet. That's pretty good. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty heady one. Yeah. Isn't I it? liked, I had to think about it for a second, but I liked it. Yeah. I did too. When I, when I read it probably for more than a second. Um, all right, we'll do it. This one's in honor of my daughter, who I haven't seen in a week. I'm looking forward to seeing when she comes home from the shore and gives some gives dad some time. My daughter screeched, "Dad, you haven't listened to one word I've said, have you?" What a strange way to start a conversation with me. Well, I don't know if Might I get it. Might be a little it. too late for this one. I don't know if I get it. She says. You haven't listened to one word I've said, have you? And he said, she, he said, oh, I see. Thing. So the dad, yeah, I see. So the dad thinks, I see. So the dad thinks that's when she started talking. All right, that's it. Our Give three- us the invasion line one more time. <laughs> it can only mean one thing. <laughs> I'm already trying not to laugh. <laughs> it can only mean one thing invasion. <laughs> <laughs> is it even that funny? I don't know. I think Royale, it is. <laughs> we really were cracking up watching this movie last night by the last third of it because we just couldn't take it anymore. Then we got serious again during Duel of the Fates. But that, other than that, that's we, true. That that's sort of yeah made us that, that brought us back. That snapped us back in. <laughs> Invasion. All right, we'll see, we'll see you guys next time. Good Thanks night. for your support. Bye. <laughs> Knockback is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded in Santa Monica, California and the Philadelphia suburbs of Pennsylvania, USA. The show is produced by me, Colin Moriarty, and was conceived of by myself and Dagan Moriarty, who is also my co-host. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Dagan is on Twitter at Dagan1973 and on Instagram at DaganLikesToDraw. 
Knockback is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. As you know, all things Collins Last Stand, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Adam Barnes, Justin Bearden, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Blossford, Andrew Bonnell, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jimmy Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Nick Calloway, Tom Cargill, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davin, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Liam Fagan, Joe Finelli, Eric Fickenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wide Henry, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Blake Israel, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jaggard, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Auntie Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan. Ryan R. Kittredge, Kenneth Kopnick, Joshua Koga, Andre Kozachka, Ron Kroskoff, Jackson Lostiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Duncan Leishman, Matthew Lenz, Jeffrey Leonard, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, David Mann, Peter Mark, Matt Martin, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Philip J. Melk, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Matthew Miller, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nick, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Grayson Orr, Brian Ott, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Thibaut Poplier, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Shero Kader Hamakarim, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Daniel Rivas, Johnny Rosado, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholz, Toby Schutman, Glendon C. Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Strychart, Wesley Simmons, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thelander, Ben Thompson, Ren Todd, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Troy Walters, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Josh Wire, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Hugo's Desk, Organic Produce, Jeff, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Richter86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Scott, Rainick, Donk2015, and Gavin.